This is one of the biggest and most important concepts that is important when you're analyzing YouTube data. The data that we see has already been pre-selected. YouTube tests your thumbnails, your titles, your videos against people. Now, the problem here is that the data that we get back is the data from the people that have seen our videos, not the people that haven't seen our videos, which makes the data fairly useless. And it's, it's, it's sad to say it like that, but it is just the reality. Mario worked for a lot of years alongside Mr. Beast, and I'm curious to hear what exactly was your position. Well, I, uh, when I was working with Beast, or when I was working with Jimmy, uh, I was a retention director, uh, so I would help him just optimize the videos with just giving the, all those notes and stuff and cutting out bad stuff, keeping in good stuff and uh, just everything when it comes down to making the video slightly better. And then alongside that one, I would just help the team pretty much with just giving them feedback on how to make better content. It's, it's all feedback based pretty much. So for, for how many years you, you work there? Oof. I, I, so I started in, 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 I think it was end of 2020. So, so far it's been two and a half years, I think. So something like two and a half years is, is how long we've been working with them. And initially it was remote, but then eventually I went on site. So on site I've been like a year and a half, no, a year, year and a half or something. Got right, right before Squid Game came out. That's when I started working with them. So uh, you moved from Europe to United States uh, just to be part of the Mr. Beast yeah, team, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically one day what happened is that I was, so I was working with him remote, right? And, and uh, we were, I was giving all those notes for a while and then I got a call and that call was like, hey, do you want to be here? And initially I was like, no, I actually don't uh, because I like the comfort of my home, you know. Um, I, I like just sitting behind my screen, you know, getting a video in and then giving some notes or whatever. But then eventually I was just like, okay, you know what, let me try this out. And it was very nerve wracking because the first time I went there, it wasn't like I went there for like a few days. It was like I went there for like three months, which is, it's actually also when we met. Uh, my first shoot was the shoot, uh, the Lambo shoot that you were in. And that was, uh, th that was literally my first shoot. So I arrived a few days later. I was on, on, on set there. And then, you know, it, it, it turned out very well. I was really enjoying it. And after three months, I was like, okay, I can, I can do more of this. I can do more of it. I'm, I don't mind it. So then a few months later, I came back. And then I was like, okay, now we're ready to move. And then, then, then the a whole visa process started, which took so long. It's so difficult to immigrate. Um, but then we, after, after like half a year of, of working my visa, eventually I got it. And then, then we completely moved every, everything there, so, uh, which is funny because so, now I'm completely back. <laughs> so, yes. So, uh, you, you stopped working with Mr. Beast recently, right? Yes. Yes. So I, uh, before, about before, bef mm -hmm. before we get into that and why and how and what's your next plan, we have to, I want to ask how was the learning while you were working remote and how was the learning uh, when you went there and if you started learning a lot more stuff and working hands uh, with the videos, but you didn't tell us how you got the job because I know the story. It's kind of very funny. You are not a retention specialist in the beginning. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious to hear the beginning. 
of how so you got the job? I I got into this industry. I'll say that because I quickly started working with the Beast team. But I got into this industry bef- because before this, I was a professional gamer. That's what I did for a living. I was there was this game called PUBG, which at that time was a very popular game, and I was one of the best people in that game. Um, so when that was happening. I would already get to know some people who make content on YouTube. One of those people was a name called Quabble Cup. And when I met him, initially I met him because I was good at playing games. But then at some point I realized that, you know, I had achieved exactly what I wanted to achieve within gaming. I was, you know, when I was like, okay, I want to be number one on leaderboards. I became number one on leaderboards. But eventually it's like, okay, it's just going for another number one. And there wasn't much. And also financially it wasn't, that great, just being honest about that. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want to build something for myself. And that's when I messaged him. And I advise this to every single person in the world. If you want a cool job, just message a guy and be like, I want a job. I, I want a cool job and or I want to work on this cool project. So so you message Cable Cop, right? Not I messaged Mr. him, yes, yes. So Cable Cop, uh, I, I did message him. And I messaged him and I just said like, you know, for the past months, Every time I'm bored, I've been looking at these YouTube videos about how to make YouTube content better. And then I messaged him and I'm like, yo, uh, the ad, like, I just, uh, actually I was just interested because he tweeted some stuff and I was not happy with how he tweeted. And I'm like, yeah, this impacts you negatively. And I just give it like, I just said like, this is not looking that good. And then he just on the spot almost offered me like, hey, do you want to work for me? Do you want to, do you want to figure out the algorithm with me? So I was new to it. I had a bit of, little bit of information, saw how some other consultants do it. And then now I was here trying to figure out the algorithm. And then from there on, very quickly. So I you went to Netherlands, to Netherlands, right? We were, I, I worked remote oh, actually. Remote. Everything okay. remote. Everything remote. So started working with him remote, just set up my comfort of my home. And then, um, and then we wor- started working together. That was, that was how it all started. And then, uh, this is what I said to Quebec Cup, and this is how it, how it got me to Mr. Beast eventually, is I said to him, I was number one in gaming, or I was a, I was a top player in gaming. I want to be one of the best consultants as well. Because if I was really good at one thing, I want to be good at another thing. And then he, he what he did is he introduced me to a person called CeeLo. And CeeLo at the time, it was somebody who was probably one of the most knowledgeable people within YouTube. He is not that well known publicly always, but people who were around in 2017, they are very, very familiar with CeeLo. He's like a mastermind, a brilliant guy. And I learned a lot from him and, and definitely learned how to think. And he was already working with Beast. So when, uh, when he found out that I was doing YouTube, he kind of knew about me from the gaming days. He was like, hey, you want to try this Mr. Beast project? And I, I was like, you know, sounds interesting. So... That's kind while of like you the, were, the while you were working with Cable Cop, right? This yes, offer? yes, yes. So that you was... dumb Cable Cop to go for Mr. Beast. <laughs> that that's one way to put it, but yeah, that's that's kind of <laughs> what happened. Kind of what happened is that there was. Now we're good, but at that time there were some uh, some awkward moments. Let's put it like that. <laughs> okay, when you left. Okay, so the, you you started advising Cable Cop on how to make better videos and how to keep the attention of the people watching longer as well. This is what you did with Cable Cop. I actually or- I actually didn't start as that. So I think at the, at the beginning it was more like figure out the cool little tricks. You know, the retention kind of came later down the line. 
I started with, with Grabbookup at the beginning because he just wanted somebody to help him figure out the algorithm more. And he was already very knowledgeable, so I cannot take that away from him. But what I started figuring out, because I, I was trying to figure out, okay, how does CTR work? How does AVD work? And I, I started looking at all these metrics, but then I realized real quick, hey, there is something that is quite undiscovered. People weren't really influencing the numbers with AVD. And I think my big breakthrough for myself came when I, I created this mini tool within a spreadsheet that if you put a retention chart in there, it would automatically show, so hey, pay we need to, to this. We need to, we need to explain what is retention, what is AVD, what is click-through rate. Not everyone is it. that geek yes. like you. Yes. <laughs> so, no, you're right, you're right. I, I, I'll, I'll take a step back. So basically on YouTube, when, when YouTube content is created, then YouTube tracks a lot of metrics on how users behave. And, and there are these metrics, AVD would be average view duration, how long somebody watches, CTR would be click-through rate, how, how likely somebody is to click on your videos. So there's pretty much all these metrics. And I took one of these metrics pretty much, uh, that was the AVD. Um, and what I did is I, I put it in a tool that allowed me to kind of track automatically when people would tune out of their videos. So my tool, my, my mini tool would kind of say, hey, between 50 seconds and one minute 20, this is really bad, pay attention to this. And I could do this over hundreds of retention charts. These are called retention charts, but I would, I would do this over hundreds of them. And when you have information like, hey, these are hundred moments that people don't like, it's very easy to eventually start seeing patterns. And what I noticed for me was that most videos, when they got created, they are very reliant on how much people watch and how much people like certain videos. So if we make these small little pieces better, we get more views. So that's like a, that's, that's probably for somebody who doesn't know much about the metrics and without explaining all the metrics, that's probably the best way to look at it. It's like we have a small piece, it doesn't go well, we see this over hundreds of videos, now we improve this. Um, so with Grabble Cup, I give, I, I started looking into this one. I started giving advice and that's how eventually I would say it's, it's hard to claim being an expert, but that's kind of how I kind of became a, an expert within this particular part of content creation, which is optimizing your content to make people watch for longer. So, and that's been a few years now. And if people watch for longer, like you said, you get more views because YouTube will recommend your thing. So you are yeah, basically if your videos ha better, you have the knowledge. Well. You basically have the knowledge to get millions and millions and millions of views in a video that that translate to thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars of ads. And so what we're talking here is not jokes, guys. So this is yeah. real, <laughs> real life stuff. So, okay. So you, you went and transitioned from cable cop, you got some experience and then you went to Mr. Beast. How was the exponential learning now that you have access to the biggest minds in the world, data here and there with the biggest YouTube channels, like how does that play the role to your learning and everything? So I would say there, there's two parts to this equation here. And that's one is the influence of having those people around and two is the actual learning. So when I was both with, with Mr. Beast, I, I would say that it was more influenced 
And this was also a little bit of Gabacop. So in both cases, I was kind of hired because I had to do a lot of research. And I, I, I would say I have I had one of the luckiest positions working with those people because I was hired to research, 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 figure something out and then bring these findings. You know, it's the perfect thing. So most of the learnings, actually, I would I would kind of generate myself. Uh, and that, that's not to say that I didn't learn from others. I definitely learned from others. I cannot take that away. There was definitely sometimes that people would say something and I'm like, hey, it inspires me, you know, and then I would do further research. But I think the biggest learning that I had from working with these creators is how big they think. So I still remember, so um, when I was working with Quabocop, um, his name is Jordy. It's going to be a little more natural when I say Jordy. When I was working with Jordy, he said, me, he said one thing, and that, that one changed the entire career. And this one, I would say, even when I was at Beast, this was the same thing pretty much, is that he said, Mario, sometimes when you have a problem, it's like a car on fire, and you're worried about changing the tire, but the car is on fire. Focus on the car. And I still remember him saying this to me, because what he meant is just think big. That's, that's the only thing is don't worry about the $5 problem. Worry about the million dollar problem. And that's exactly what it is even, even when I was working at Beast, right? I mean, everybody sees this. His videos are at a whole level, another scale. Like he doesn't think about, hey, should I, should I give five extra dollars to somebody? No, he thinks, you know, should I give somebody another million dollars or something? His, his way of thinking is just different. And it's not just him, it's the people around him. And it's, it's, it's him, it's the people around him. And being influenced by people who, who just think differently is I think that's the biggest thing that I learned from working with both Gravel Cup as Beast and, and, and some of the other people that I've worked with um, in the past years. It's just the scale of thinking is just different. And, and it's just also just, it's almost like being crazy enough to always believe like, oh, we can just, we can just do this crazy thing. Like, you know, we can like, it's not, it's, 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 not like, oh, this is impossible. It's like, oh, everybody says it's impossible. Now, how do you make it happen? And that mindset, I think, is, is the most valuable thing I learned working with other people. The knowledge itself is mostly I gained myself. You know, uh, I would do the research and then I gain knowledge and then I can implement this one. But that, I, I, I didn't learn to think that big by myself. It was others, you know, it was the influence of others. So, so when you say you, you do research by yourself, you mean you have uh, data of, you, of retention graphs of videos and when people live and you cross correct with a lot of the same things. Oh, we had the same mistake here and you have some conclusions by yourself. This is what you mean. I did research by myself, right? Yeah. Or so it includes few, more stuff. There is a few more things. So I would say this is the, this is the thing. So. I typically start my research. I look at a video. I look at the, the, the chart on how somebody watches the video, right? The retention chart. That's what I look at. It gives me the most easy access to data. The only big problem here is that it's, you see patterns, but these patterns don't mean stuff unless you have additional knowledge. So if your chart goes down, this could be because of an camera angle. This could be because of a joke. This could be because somebody was just, you didn't like the person. You know, there's so many factors that come to play. So you, what you do need to have is you need to kind of have pre-existing knowledge before you can even know what these things mean. So I would educate myself on every single little thing that could have an impact on engagement. Then I would analyze the charts, see the behavior, try to analyze. Sometimes it's very obvious. 
If it's not obvious, I would kind of rely on my pre-existing knowledge. And then on top of that, what I do is, there's this cheat almost, is I would look at research papers, but there are particular research papers that I like. So theses from people are a gold mine. People don't touch those. And the reason why is because most people, when they educate, like when they, when they study, they do one thesis and they put their life into that thesis and then they stop. They get a normal corporate job. They ne we never hear of these people ever again, but their paper, their single paper on the single topic for me is extremely valuable because what I do is I take a hundred of those papers and I look through all of them and suddenly I have, a, I have all this information that you, most people don't have. So you have scientific can, can, evidence. So yeah. Continue, 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 continue. Uh, but uh, so, I was going to ask if, if you have some examples that from a paper, you are like, oh my God, yes, this is the thing. And then you applied it to videos. That was one particular paper. I still remember even finding this paper. So it was a paper that I found because I was looking at how much does emotion matter, right? How much does this relatability matters? And this was one of the big things because everybody talks about it, right? We need to make your characters relatable. We need to make, we need to bring out those things that people like. And to me, this sounded like this, it didn't sound correct. So I started looking into it and, and, and I don't remember the exact title of this paper, but it, it was related to identification, uh, you know, so seeing yourself within the other person. So within your main character or our personal screen. And I remember seeing this paper and it was an overwhelming paper. This was a paper of like 100 to 150 pages. So this was like almost like a book, but it was a paper. Um, it was also a little bit of a meta-analysis where they, they compare other papers and stuff. So I started reading through this one and it, it looked into how I could put my own emotions, like I, I could recognize emotions within a certain character and then feel very engaged because of that. And what this paper pretty much discovered and discussed was the idea that it was not the relatability that mattered. And this one, when I saw this paper, I was like, that kind of makes sense. Because if I watch a movie, you got this big, strong guy, you know, super handsome, super sexy, long hair. I don't have any hair. I'm not a big, strong guy. I'm, you know, I'm the opposite of this person. However, I am still immersed into the story. I still like the story. I, I can, you know, there are stories that makes you cry. I think The Green Mile, for example, I think is a perfect example. It is an old movie. It's a big, dark-skinned guy in the jail who everything, everything that I am not. And guess what? That movie makes you feel so emotional at some point it makes you want to cry because you care about this character because what matters is he's likable you care about his motivations you care about what happens to him you care about the story and that is really what what truly matters here is that it's not about the relatability it's never been about the relatability it might help to attract a certain audience to a certain degree there is still something there but it's not the main driving force and that is, I, I think that is the biggest thing that I learned from that paper is that, okay, if that's not the main driving force, then what is? And then we start looking into stuff like character motivation. That matters. And character motivation, I know, I, I know I'm talking about storytelling elements right now, but this also applies to a YouTuber. Like, why are you motivated to do this act? I mean, if, it, if, you're, just, if you're just trolling for the sake of trolling, 
It's okay. It's trolling for the sake of trolling. If you're giving away a thousand bucks for the sake of giving away a thousand bucks, you're just giving away a thousand bucks. But if the reason is strong, now suddenly I might care more as the audience. And that is so. For example, so so for example, just going uh, and giving a hundred dollars to a homeless person, saying that bullshit. But I've I was a homeless and I was uh, uh, there. And what changed my life is a hundred dollars because someone gave it to me. So now I'm going to go and give it back to see if there is going to have the same effect. So that's. Yeah. Yeah, uh, what yeah the that, would, that would already would be a stronger thing. Uh, you know, there, there's definitely multiple factors. But again, this would be a stronger lie than just going somewhere and be like, hey, here's $100. If you just give somebody $100 and you film it, it will feel cheap. It will feel like you're abusing the situation. And that's what you have. That's the reason why, I mean, you know, I typically focus on YouTube, but I... I consume content on TikTok. There's a reason why everybody makes fun of those people going to people and being like, hey, here's money. I mean... It's cheap because there's no motivation. There's no reason. Why are you doing this other than views? I have no insight in why you do this. So it, 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 it's those little things that really matter. And, and this paper specifically stood out because it questioned this idea that relatability is so important. And it's an idea that gets used in business, in YouTube, in film, everywhere. And the fact that somebody questioned it and had a really long paper about it was so impressive to me. And that, that was the paper that was like, okay, there's so much gold here that I cannot find anywhere else. Like, because nobody's questioning these things. And that, that got me on my hunt of questioning everything. And, and uh, I, mean, I, I mean, you've talked to me as well. Um, you know, I think most people that have talked to me in depth about YouTube, I will say things that contradict a lot of what other people say. But typically that comes because I found research that conflicts it. I mean, I'm against subtitles. I really am in most of the cases. That's a contradictive thing considering that almost everybody on YouTube at some point has used subtitles or there's one word like boom, boom, boom. Subtitles explain like when we put, when we start the video and we put text, big letters or not the subtitles of translation. Yeah, so that would be subtitle text. uh, You know, translation is a different scenario because now we're talking about accessibility of your content. Obviously, you want to make sure that your content is accessible to more people. But I'm talking about, you know, when people make content, everything is subtitled and the the subtitle has this big emotion or these colors. It's it's so distracting, you know. But it's when you said it to and when you said it to me, I remember you said, "Did you ever saw a movie with a lot of subtitles?" I was uh, most of the movies they have no subtitles. I was like, "Yes." Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, if, 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 if it's subtitles, you know, a fun fact from that we can take from research, the more conservative research states that about 40% of our, of our attention goes to our subtitles. That's 40% that takes away from the visuals. The visuals are what makes a movie, not the subtitles. Now, you might have subtitles in order to get it more, you know, to understand it more. Uh, and on movies, I mean, you're not going to sit out out of a movie because of the subtitles. You don't do that. But on a YouTube, there, YouTube video, when it's just like, bam, 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 subtitles. I mean, that's just, oh, it can be overwhelming. Um, I was watching a video like that yesterday and it's just, just too much. So that translate, the same principles translate to short form content that translate to long form content. And the same principles translate to one hour YouTube video than 10 minute YouTube video and 20 second shorts. In general, in general, most principles translate. 
The subtitles principle doesn't completely translate. And the reason why is because of the way that people watch content. Short form content, right? People sit on the toilet, scroll a little bit. You have it on mute. People sit at their work desks. You scroll through, through shorts, through TikTok. You watch it on mute. So your subtitles here are helping because it actually makes up for missing information. But again, that is specifically in this case. Most cases, most principles do work across the board. Like when we talk about retention to go back to engagement, right? What makes people watch for longer? Most principles actually apply to both short forms, medium, uh, medium form content and long form content, right? It doesn't matter what length your video is because if we look at retention and what keeps people engaged is the amount of new information that we constantly give, which is called pacing. You know, it's the amount of information that's being presented visually or in, in any type of degree. So we take this information, we try to spread it, and this pacing matters. Now, if you have a 50-minute podcast, for example, the problem is a lot of times when you watch this stuff, you don't get a constant stream of valuable information. And that makes it so easy with a podcast to be boring. Unless somebody is very good at like giving new valuable information at a, at a good stream. Or you have chapters or highlights like, hey, now this, here's this piece of information. Now it's here. Now that's, that happens as well with a 10-minute video. That happens as well with a short. In a short, you're just there because you have one segment of valuable information. While in a 10-minute video, you have five or six segments. They equally have to have a lot of information. In a podcast, you have 50 minutes. You need probably 50, seg uh, 50 segments right there of valuable information. So same principles apply typically across the board. The principles apply, but the principles are influenced by viewer motivation, why somebody's there, you know, uh, what situation they're in, how they're watching, all those kind of things. There are some influencing factors though. So, uh, first of all, I want to say that this is not only translating to YouTube videos, because if you are a teacher and you are doing a lesson in the class, you can take, you want to retain the people's retention, uh, attention that you talk to, and you want them to go through an emotional roller coaster. If you want to do a TED talk, or if you want to say a story to your friends to make people laugh, or to make your kids engage to what you're saying, it's like, it's, this is like, that's why I, I believe we're so lucky to be learning all this stuff because it translates to all our, our lives as well. And I'm curious to hear if you have uh, other tips about this stuff later, but let's focus a bit on, on, on videos now. But so if we, uh, say that we want to, uh, increase uh, the time the viewers are watching, should we focus more on the idea and before the viewers clicked or should we focus more on what the video about? Uh, because for example, if we say last to keep the hand on the Lamborghini, the idea set up or already a lot, like you want to see who won the Lamborghini out of 50 people like uh, I, I did. So you want to see who, who was last or should you focus more on the nitty gritty of, okay, let's remove these scenes. Which one you think is more powerful? So I'm going to give the best example here. Cause I think there is a misconception that some people have is we, you just mentioned it as well as the, where if we see a title, we come to see the outcome. 
And this is the big thing that people have been talking about, right? Like, for example, last leaf hand on Lambo that you just mentioned, it would be easy to think, oh, I want to see who last leaves. Honestly, people don't care as much as people think they do. And I'm going to give the best example. We watch superhero movies. Everybody has seen a Marvel movie at this point in their life. You know, I hope so. If not, it's good to watch something. I'm not the biggest Marvel fan, but you still should. Nobody is there to see the superheroes win. Everybody already knows that the superhero is going to win. You're there because you want to experience what it's like to see how they win. What are the journeys they overcome? You want to feel what they feel. You're there for the experience. So that's the reason why in, in, in retention or like we have these two terms. It's interest-focused audience, which is people who come to learn something, who come for specific pieces of information. Or you have an engagement-focused audience. These are people that are there for the experience. They want to feel what it's like. So when you talk about Last Leaf Hand, Lambo, yes, it's interesting. But it's only interesting to know who won because you experienced what it was like and you now start to care about who wins. But other than that, I don't care. I mean, there's so much content on the internet out there that I'm like, I don't care. It's like, okay, this person, this happened to that person. And I'm like, I don't care. Simply because I don't know this person. There's, I mean, we, we, have, we don't have a bond. I don't know if he deserves it. If not, I don't know if he's a likable person or not. So all these things really matter. So that's, this is where... You know, and I, I lost a little bit part of the, the other part of, of your question, but to come back here is that it's all about the experience. And oh yeah, where the thumbnail and title, the way that a video is sold is literally, I would say 10% of the work. And it's funny because that's you where most so? people put the value. I generally think so. And I'm going to give the best example here because I have an example that works better than anything else. Imagine a restaurant, right? Restaurant looks great, five-star review, everything, your friend recommended it. You take somebody there, you go in this restaurant, you walk inside, and you order your food. Everything is great so far, right? Everything is exactly up to the expectation. This is a great experience. Now, your food arrives a little bit late, 10 minutes late. No big deal, right? No big deal, it's 10 minutes late. It can happen in every single restaurant. Now, what happens is you take your first bite. You're like, okay, you, you were expecting a medium rare steak. Well, guess what? Your steak is well done. Ain't that good, right? You're like, okay, kind of disappointing, but who knows? Maybe I'm in for a well done steak. You take your bite, tastes like shit. Okay, you got your, you got your potatoes, tastes like shit. Okay, you know what? Hey, how about we get some dessert? Got ice cream. The guy, guess what? Ice cream ain't that cold. Ice cream is kind of melty. Doesn't, you eat from it, it's kind of, it's mediocre at best. How likely are you to return to this experience, to this same restaurant? Very, very unlikely. That's the same with the video. It might sell you at first, but if the experience is shit, you're not going to return. Now let's turn the situation around. You have this shitty looking restaurant, shady neighborhood. You don't know if you're going to get shot going to this neighborhood, if you're going to survive to live another day. But you arrive there, you give it a try, you eat. It's the best food you've ever tasted. It's so great. How likely are you returned to that restaurant? Very likely. And even if you don't want to have this situation of like the shady neighborhood or anything like that, right? What do you do? You just order. You'll, you'll pay extra for somebody to deliver this food to your house. That's how willing you are to get this experience again. And I'm giving this example because it's something that everybody can relate to. Everybody, well, I'm, I'm saying everybody, but I think most of us have like this, can easily imagine this place in our mind where we're like, okay, 
restaurant doesn't look that good, but food is great. You know, in Europe, we have these kebab places, right? Kebab places aren't known for their fanciness. But every single time when somebody's hungry in the evening, they'll get a kebab. It's, a, it's just the thing that we do. Because uh, they're just good in taste, you know. And they're not for everybody, but, you know. Um, wait until you're drunk and you have this night. You, you want a kebab. That's all you want. So, uh, and that's, that, this is the exact example. And this happens for a video as well. You may be sold on a video for one time. That's great. And yes, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. Yes, it, it does matter how it gets sold every single time. There is a part of that. But the single second that somebody has a bad experience, the next time they see your, your thumbnail or your title, they're going to remember. I can I push back on you, what you said? Uh, so uh, from my experience, uh, I have uh, looked my videos and analyzed them. And I found where... Wh- the times that I have more than 15% retention is uh, 50, not 15, five, five zero, uh, is the times that there is kind of a competition. There is kind of, uh, uh, like the idea is kind of cutting the video. For example, I, that's a, a bad video idea. It was wrong, I think, to do it, but, uh, hide and seek in the biggest airport uh, in, in the United States. So uh, because there is a, a, a we, the last person wins $20,000. So the video has 55% retention. Another video that has 55% retention of my videos is uh, I turn $1 to $10,000 because, because you're trying to have a hundred, it's like money and there is a goal and you want to see what you're going to do with the money and it's interesting. So uh, this is what I'm saying, but, but I, I kind of, you are not wrong. It's like, I agree that it's 90% of the video. If you have good thumbnail, you're not going to have, but it's like, I, at this level that I am, that I think the idea plays a big role of a 60% retention or a 45% retention. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I, I, just to let you know as well, I love it when people push back. Like, it's just something I love because, again, I am not always right, you know? And I currently have people hired for me, and, and the one thing that I tell them to, to do is the second that they hear me say anything that doesn't match, like, logic or anything, I want them to call me out for it. It's, it's just the best way that we improve, right? So this type, of, this, the, this type of pushback is great, but... Unfortunately, I do have a great way to explain this to why this also feels like some part is like, hey, how does this make sense? Now, I want to admit, yes, the title, the concept is important. It carries the video because it sets what I would call an expected storyline. You know, you set a certain video title. I'm going to expect a certain storyline. You derive from that one, you derive from that storyline. Yes, that's going to hurt the video because now you're mismatching expectations. So there is an aspect of that one. So when I say it has 10% impact, it could be 20% impact, but I still think there's a significant amount that goes into the experience, right? Because as much as you're sold on something, the experience matters. Now, when it comes down to retention, I think the problem here is that it, it assumes that these percentages, that lower percentage is bad and higher percentage is good. That's what the assumption is. And we cannot ignore the fact that it isn't. And I, I'm going to explain it through a concept called survivorship bias. So this is, a, this is one of the biggest and most important concepts that is important when you're analyzing YouTube data. Because this affects every single metric that you could potentially find when it comes out to YouTube data. Uh, this also, by the way, applies to stuff outside of YouTube data. 
Uh, anything when you're working with an algorithm, this typically applies. Survivorship bias is the idea that the data that we see has already been pre-selected. So what does this mean? In YouTube, right? YouTube sees all, YouTube tests your thumbnails, your titles, your videos against people. You know, it shows it to a certain amount of people. Now, the problem here is that the data that we get back is the data from the people that have seen our videos, not the people that haven't seen our videos. And this is very important because if YouTube, what YouTube does is this, they test your video, let's say against 500,000 people. It tests it, it comes back 50%. Okay, you know what, great video, that's, that's fine. Now, what YouTube does, it, it doesn't instantly test it to another 500,000 people. No, what it does is because those four from 500,000, they, they, YouTube knew that they were going to like your video. So now what YouTube does is they're like, okay, you know what, we'll test against 10,000 people. 10,000 people that are, we don't know if they'll like the video. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but we'll test it out. Now, let's say the feedback on those 10,000 people is, this is bad. Oh, they don't like it. YouTube is not going to serve it to anybody else. So when you then see the data, you see the data of a combination between 500,000 and 10,000. That's the data that you see. So, but because of how the averages work, when you take that amount of people, it all averages out and you'll maybe see 50% or you'll maybe see 49% because people were interacting so bad with it. So your data barely changes, but it's because you never touched a why a big audience that didn't interact as well with your video, you know? And this makes you like analyzing both YouTube uh, content as well as other stuff very difficult because the problem is the data that you see is the data from the surviving audience, the audience that has been pre-selected. And unfortunately, right now to this day, YouTube doesn't allow us to break it down. You know, we cannot even break it down male or female, what age, you know, where you're from. It doesn't matter how you want to break down. It's impossible. YouTube doesn't allow you to do that. So right now we just get this big averages of everybody together. And this is already pre-selected data, which makes the data fairly useless. And it's, it's, it's sad to say it like that, but it is just the reality. That's the reason why no, I, I think you're like, just, you're just uh, an expert and you learn everything that you can from the, the data. <laughs> I think the data are still useful. <laughs> you know this graph, you know, there's this, there's this graph, like you got, you get the beginner, you get then the, 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 the person who does the analysis and then you get the expert and it's like, I think nothing matters. Then you have the guy, I think everything matters. And then you have the, I think nothing matters. This is the exact case when it comes out to YouTube yeah. data. When you find, when you know nothing about it, it's like, okay, there's a bunch of numbers. Then you're like, okay, there's CTR, there's EVT, there's, there's retention charts, there's this, there's that, there's traffic sources, there's so much. And, and you value so much of these things. And then in the end, you're like, okay, there's only a few things that really matter. It's like, this, this is the reason why I'm saying views matters because it's an accurate representation of your reach. Right? It's influenced by the algorithm, but it matters. Then views over time frame matters because you can check in, in a month time, you know, if, if my video has 5 million views or 1 million views in a month time, that's going to matter. And the retention chart, because when people tune out, it doesn't matter if 5% of your people tune out or 10%. If people tune out, it's bad. I mean, there's something bad about it, you know? So then the numbers are not that relevant, but the way that the, your data behaves is more relevant. So we're looking at data behavior instead of the exact numbers. So you are watching views on videos and you are getting a, so you are say, you are seeing things as a whole. You don't say all, oh, oh, for example, I ha if I have a video, I get on average 2 million views a video and I have a video that has 1 million views. 
So, and has 55% retention. This is what you are saying right here yeah. is because my viewers watched it. It didn't serve it to more people. There is a problem. Why it didn't serve it to more people? But if it has 3 million views, okay, then we're t start to talk. Okay. There is something to learn from that. So I have an, another thing that this is, um, I have another video that has 30% retention and 5 million views, which is, uh, is, uh, it's, it's very interesting. This is something that you're saying, right? This is uh, yes, absolutely. What the numbers, saying. the numbers change according to your reach. You know, the wider your reach, the numbers tend to go down. You know, they don't tend to go up. Uh, there are still some numbers that could go up, but then the thing is like this: is yes, they go up for your first week, but then I would say check again a month later, see if those numbers still stay up, because you know, YouTube doesn't instantly like. It's not like. The entire population is watching at that single moment. And at that single moment, YouTube is like, now we have to push to everybody. And then one day later, it doesn't push. No, no. YouTube uh, can, can you say what's the retention? What was the retention on the Squid Game video on the 25 minute video? Uh, I, un I unfortunately cannot give exact details because it is, you know, it's, it's, it's beast <laughs> data. Um, but uh, this is what I'll say about it. I think Squid Game was one of the strongest videos on YouTube. I generally believe so. There, it's not that there wasn't any mistakes. There was definitely mistakes. I did an analysis afterwards internally and I found a lot of mistakes with the video. However, I still believe to this day that this was one of the strongest YouTube videos created. It was an enjoyable experience. Um, obviously, I'm a little bit biased because I love the project and stuff. But at the same time, I generally think that was one of the strongest videos that was ever created on YouTube. Um, and what it really showed is this. It showed that retention or keeping people engaged is more than just cutting, 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 cutting. The first challenge, if you look at the video, the first challenge, Red Light, Green Light, was a four-minute content piece. Nobody does that on YouTube right now. Everything is like a one-minute, two-minute content piece, your first segment. Nothing is like a four-minute, five-minute experience for a single content piece. So, and that, I think, was so fascinating. I think there's so much to learn from that video that most people overlooked. Because I saw what people, I, I saw the analysts and stuff and I saw the consultants break it down and be like, this is what made it special. Most of the important stuff actually got missed. So I, like this is what I recommend. If, I, if there's always, if there's ever anybody interested in YouTube and YouTube optimization, that is a video you can learn from so much because there's so many nuanced I watched I watched the, the the intro probably 100 times of that maybe 200 yeah. times <laughs> it is a, it was a special it, it was a special video it was a special time as well um you know I I the, the only thing when I look at that video I just I just miss some of the people that I used to work with that was some amazing people uh it's <laughs> you know it's, it's, We're going uh, to get into uh, what, uh, how and what happened and all this stuff. But tell me, when you break that video down, what's the, what's the best things uh, of storytelling, of the format, of everything that you can draw? As you said, this is the strongest video, one of yeah, the strongest videos on I YouTube. And by the way, can, can you do the, the same thing that you did on your mic before because it's the, it does the noise again? Yes, I now it so stopped. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, no perfect. problem. <laughs> We're going to keep that in. It's good for the. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not everything that I do is uh, this. I make mistakes just as anybody else. It's, you know. Um, the thing that I like so much about the Squid Game, and this is more from my point of view, right? Also, this is more 
hindsight at this point because it's been so long. So I'm very biased because the, vi the video has more than 400 million views. I mean, I would be lying if I'm not biased. I think what it was is that the focus stayed on the, con on the content. The characters developed. You know, the characters developed. There was a character arc that developed throughout the video, but the content was at the forefront. And I think this is where a lot of content these days goes wrong. Is you're either very content driven and there's a complete disregard for the people in the video. Or people think, oh, I want to do some character development. And now they focus so much on giving personal backstory, emotional moments and all kind of stuff. Which makes it that the content now is focused on the emotion and the connection and, and the experience that way. While the content gets disregarded. And I think this balance right there is one of the most hardest things to master. And, you know, traditional media has to worry less about this one because, you know, if I watch a murder mystery, I'm willing to sit through five minutes of character development. I'm willing to because I'm here for a movie. I'm here, to, I'm here for a one and a half hour experience. That's just what you do with a movie. But on YouTube, you don't have that luxury. You have 10 minutes. Nobody came for the character development. So now you have to deal, you have to do character development while people don't care about that. You know, and I'm, I'm talking general, right? There's definitely always some people caring about this, but I'm talking general. And that I think is one of the hardest things. And I think the Squid Game video was one of the best examples of where that went very well. I think there's other videos as well, even non-beast videos uh, to also step away. I think there's other, other creators that are fairly strong in this one, uh, in some videos. But uh, it's that balance I think stood out for me with that video really. Um, and that's personal. That's that's very personal. I think there's definitely people, uh, whether it is with the Beast team out there, they might have different opinions about that one. Uh, there's also other consultants that might have a different opinion on this one. But, but for me personally, I think it's the perfect balance between those two things that made that video so good. Can you explain me what's the process of one video and what was, uh, let's say, I don't know, last uh, army hunts me down or whatever uh, video, like how do, what exactly you go and do and like how many revisions and how many people are working on, on, uh, on this and like how is the, is your role in, uh, it was in, in a video? Yeah. So Unfortunately, I don't want to talk too much about the process. I mean, it's it's more than fair. I mean, yes, because it's this the secret sauce of Mr. Beast. So yeah, we, exactly. we, if, we if, don't. If, if 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 Mr. Beast himself, if Jimmy himself, he wants to talk about the stuff, that's his place, you know. But I'm I'm my own person right now. I I've also distanced myself from the team. I mean, I like the team. It's great. I I really. I mean, they are succeeding even without me. So it's it's absolutely great. Um, but basically. The only thing that I can say is, and, and this is, this is a process that I've involved myself in beyond Beast. So that, that's something I can't talk about is typically my involvement in the process is that I see content and there's either one of two things I did. One thing, and this is what I actually didn't do with Beast, but this is what I typically do outside of Beast, what I've done. Uh, and what I do to this day actually is I look at content, I look at channels and I, I now try to figure out the strategy to move forward to increase the amount of views. So that's just overall strategy based on videos and, and based on data. Now, when it comes down to, if we look back and when it comes down to specific video content, it's a very simple process. And this is a process that is, is not unique to Beast. I mean, almost every single large creator that I know that has a team does this right now. It's where you have a video, you put it on some sort of website that you can use, 
to leave notes. This could be anything. There's a few. Frame.io is one of the most famous ones. There are other ways. Some people like to do it through just uploading their video to Google Drive and just taking manual notes. You know, but whatever you do is you need a note-taking process. And then what you have is your editor gets their first cut together. Then you as the the you as a as a as a retention direct let's call it the retention director here or as an analyst or di or director in general, right? Whatever you are, you leave notes on it. And there's a few rounds of revisions. And every single round, you try to achieve something different. So for example, in the first round, you could do story-driven notes. These are notes aimed to, 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 to improve the structure of your video. Then what you have is you have notes that are aimed more towards, <laughs> you have name, uh, notes aimed towards, for example, the, the sound. You know, so you, you care about sound effects, about music, all that kind of stuff. And then you have optimization, you know, and this is the step where you reduce, you remove repetitive content, you condense it down. So those three steps, you cannot live without. Sometimes you can do them in one round. That's going to make a 10 minute video. You have 200 notes then, you know, um, but the most essence, the most essential thing for any creator, regardless of what you do is for me personally, I think the best thing, best approach is do it in three stages, you know. Do it in story-driven, do it in up the like styling and all that kind of stuff, music, sound effects, you know, graphic effects or anything, and then do it in the optimization. And the optimization part is that's where I'm the I'm really the strongest. The other parts I'm also stronger, but that's that's this the reason why I'm saying that's so the strongest. The, the optimization you mean by cutting scenes that's just, that are that, that's, that can't that's be. exactly what I'm getting to. The reason why I'm strongest with optimization is because you're just following data. <laughs> It's like, there's a joke. Well, let me look at my rules of jokes. Okay, it doesn't follow rule C. Okay, cut it out. You know, it's, it's that extreme. But that's, that's my most favorite part because it's like, it's so weird that you can take a piece of content, take it through all these principles and rule set, it comes at the end and it just feels better. And that is just so mind-blowing to me, which is why it's my most favorite part as well. Um, because these principles are designed based on data. Uh, I mean, I always come back to this, but my most, my most well-known example is the example of pee jokes. You know, jokes about pee. I mean, it is silly. It is a, people see it as a joke. I mean, but when you make a joke about that one, you will lose an audience. It's just statistically very apparent that you do. <laughs> and I see this time and time again. So when you do that, you're going to lose people. And the reason why is very simple. Because... Most, a lot of people, when they watch videos, what are they doing? They're eating, you know. You don't want to hear somebody talk about pee when you're eating. I'm just saying or, the way it is. If, no, or maybe 85, 90% of the people want to, but there is that 5%, 3%. You don't want exactly. because of a pee, a pee joke to lose like... Uh, one a million views, thirty thousand people. <laughs> like yeah, that's it's, it's the same. <laughs> so we have so to think, I think about that. I, I, ju I just want to emphasize what you said because it took me so much time to figure this out by myself, and you just put it so beautifully. Work on the story first to put it down the story, then work on the revisions on the uh, on the sound effects, the music, the, the whatever VFX that you do and all these things, and then work to optimize the video. Cut things, uh, maybe, oh, maybe we can remove this, maybe we can remove this. Now that we have the music and everything, maybe this part doesn't flow, so we can remove this. So I think the the stages that you put is is very, very 
secret thing that uh, on uh, a few people do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, but that thing is like just if again, I've seen videos, and if I have one round of reviews, it is no matter how knowledgeable you are, no matter how much you know, no matter how how close you're paying attention, you're gonna miss things. If your mind is on story, you're not gonna think about music and, and the loudness of the music or when the music has writers. You're not even gonna think about any of that. I, I, before two hours, I was doing revision to my editor for a video that we were doing. And I was thinking where we're going to put uh, the sponsor because we didn't have him before. And I was watching that part. And then uh, I, I, I just put it, okay, we're going to put it here. And then I went back and I was like, oh my God, the music is so stupid in this thing. And I didn't notice it like so loud. So because you, I was focusing on that thing, you miss the thing. So that's, that's, and, do you think having multiple of people uh, watching it helps even more? But you don't want to put your mother to watch your video and give you notes. So, like, how, how do you balance these things? Yeah, you took you, you you took the words out of my mouth. But yes, as long as you don't show it to the people without knowledge, because it's this is the thing. People recognize a good story. People recognize what a good video looks like. You know, we're all designed because we know when it's engaging or not. But not everybody knows the process to why it's engaging. You know, if you have an unknowledgeable person, they're going to be like, ah, the music is kind of bad. But a knowledgeable person could be like, hey, it's actually not the music. It's the it's actually the, the, word, the choice of words or it's the, the visualization or the graphics. So if you put the wrong person behind your revision-taking process, then you might make decisions that are actually changing the subconscious experience of the viewer. And I'm saying subconscious because most of the experience is subconscious. It's not a conscious experience. People don't watch videos like, oh, is the camera angle good enough? Oh, is the music good enough? How does this make me feel? Do I like this person? People don't actively think about that. They feel that. You know, if you see somebody do a good act, you feel good. You're like, hey, that's a good person. But you don't say or think that's a good person. You just feel that, right? And that's why the subconscious is so important. But the subconscious is one of the most complicated aspects of human beings. Even in psychology, they don't have the subconscious very figured out. So then to bring somebody in that is completely unknowledgeable or that doesn't have any experience creating these videos, it's so easy to mess up and make these small changes that have such a huge impact on the subconscious. And that's the reason why I'm like, what is better to do is to, if creators have the money, is to hire a person train him or tell him to just be training him on just making the video better. That is, I mean, even in, in Beast, I mean, I can say I can barely take credit for anything. And the reason why is because people were set designing, people were, people were made, like, I mean, the set designs are impressive, right? I cannot do any of that. I didn't do that. You have people writing the videos. I didn't write those videos. You know, you have Jimmy. I am not Jimmy. You know, there's so much stuff being done. I'm just there, just, you know, being like, hey, this could be better, that could be better, this could be better. And that, the fact that there's a single person with this single responsibility shows the importance of this specific role. Um, you need a person trained for that. If you cannot, if you don't have the money or you cannot train somebody like that, then you start doing it yourself. But eventually the goal should be to have somebody like that. I have another team that I work with and this team, one of the most important hires actually after the editors and after the manager and the production people was to get a guy like this. We took a guy train them a little bit, give him some guidance, and now he's doing fantastic. And he's doing exactly just this process. It's perfect. It's perfect. Because it's also a time-consuming uh, process. And I, I'm not going to lie, this is... Uh, 
so much brain power goes into the revisions when you do it is unbelievable. It's like you sit there and you feel after you finish, you conquer a new island. <laughs> it's like you, I feel I, I'm, I, I'm angry when I have to do it because like it will take three hours of my life. It will, I will sit there. I will, I will say, ah, fuck, uh, uh, oh, this. I don't like this. Why we made this mistake here, this mistake. And then it's like you get something not great and then you put it together. But that's, uh, that's exactly what your work, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's do, why do, I, I, I gotta be honest. I think that is. You know, recently I'm, I'm going more to the advisory consulting because, you know, it's not very scalable to just look videos and, and do the rounds of revisions. But at the same time, I think it is, it is one of the most fun things to do for me. It's very data driven. It is just get a lot of knowledge and now I try to apply this knowledge. It's super practical. Uh, but yeah, it is a very rigorous process and it's a very time consuming process. And if, if you don't like the process of optimizing your content, you're in for a very bad time on YouTube because the optimizing process is the process where you go from creating a video and liking your own content to the aspect of sharing and making it better for the people who the videos are intended to. You know, and that's really what it's about. In the end, the second that you upload something on YouTube, it's not about you anymore. It's about the audience because you're, you're, you're putting a content piece up to sharing. So if you don't optimize for this sharing experience, you're not doing your video justice. You're not living up to the goal of the video, which is to share it to people, its intended audience. If it's not optimized, it will never reach the intended audience. So you, you have to optimize. It's, it's a, you gotta learn to love this process. If you don't, it just came over almost. <laughs> so so I, I remember that I asked this question to Jimmy uh, and I want to ask you the same question is why uh, what is some stuff that are not obvious that make people live? Like maybe it's, uh, or maybe keep people watch, or maybe it's colorful background. Maybe it's like light. Maybe it's like the sound. Maybe it's, it's like, what is the something that most over YouTubers overlook or like some stuff that are not talked about? I think I, I touched on it earlier, but I, I'm, I'm, I would confidently say it's the liking. It's the liking of the person on the screen. So when people make content, they always think about improving their content, improving their editing, improving the music, whatever it is, right? Or improving the ideas. It, that's what they improve on. The stuff that is outside of themselves. But people don't look internally and be like, do people actually like me? I mean, the, the, I'm gonna be honest. There's a reason why I don't really make content, right? I, I look at myself and I'm like, okay, I am not as likable as some other people. I'm very data-driven, I'm very There's a certain audience that's gonna like me, a certain audience that's not gonna like me. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be objective about this one. Now, with a creator, you can't just remove yourself. You know, you can't just remove yourself from the picture. I mean, you are the creator at that point. You can't not show up, you have to show up. So now you have to think, okay, how likable am I? You know, what am I saying to my audience? How do I talk? What's my intonation? How much do I scream? This is one of the common things. How many times have you watched the video and you're like, damn, this guy screams a lot. And the reason why this happens is because they scream at times that it's like, there's nothing exciting. Why are you screaming at me? You know, you're screaming at me for no reason. And this happens constantly. And that affects the way that I look at this person, perceive this person. And there's so many elements, you know, that come into play with making somebody likable. 
And the beautiful thing is, this is the beautiful thing, is that you can change it, but you need to be willing to touch your on-screen personality. That doesn't mean you don't have to be yourself, but that does mean you have to remove certain unlikable elements, you know, or for example, if you're, if the way you talk is different, get some coaching on your, on your public speaking. You know, if you, all the words that you use are so complex, change the words that you use, like use, learn to use simpler words. If the way you explain stuff isn't good, change the way you explain stuff. And that's just all about self-improvement. But also sometimes there's these easy elements, you know, it's like liking in terms of giving. There's some cheat sheets almost. And and in, in, in traditional media, it's like you have the save the cat moment. This is one of the types of moments that can make somebody likable. What that means is at the beginning of the movie, you see somebody doing something good, like saving a cat. And boom, suddenly that person is a lot more likable because it's so it's like, hey, there's a good person, right? And this is a cheat, cheat type of moment. A lot of people, a lot of movies even do this way too much. Um, but at the same time, it is the best example of something that can make somebody likable. So that is something that is very overlooked. So Mr. Beast is using that a lot. <laughs> I'm not going to say what he does and does not use. The only thing I can say is this. If, okay, and, and, and I'm, I might be biased, right? But it's very hard to dislike him. You know, it's very hard. I mean, if, if you dislike him, you might dislike his content. Fair. His content is not for everybody. It's a target audience, right? You mu- but to dislike him particularly, there's definitely worse people in this world to dislike. I'm just going to be honest about it. You know, uh, I don't really publicly talk about it because I don't feel like it's my place to, to talk about this. I mean, I'm a retention guy. I just look at data, right? But I, I would not be, I would be lying if I'm, I'm not sometimes sitting and, and, and thinking, why are people giving him so much hate? I mean, yes, you could, it's always argue and put, to put something in a bad light. But if you objectively look at things, it's very difficult to hate him, you know, unless and, people and know something trans- that I don't know, and, but yeah. And, and, and that translates to real life as well. It's very difficult to dislike him in real life as well. Yeah. And oh, that's, he's super likable. Uh, yes. So that's, I think, um, Bro, you, you got me thinking a lot now. In the beginning, you said this, like, it's uh, it's not about uh, the goal of the video. Nobody cares about the goal of the video or relatability. But likability is a different thing. Yes. It is It is different. And, and, and the, this also- is why why you are seeing uh, Emma Chamberlain. You, you are seeing, uh, what's he... Ryan Trahan, like also rising because it's difficult to dislike them. Ryan Trahan, perfect difficult. example. Perfect example. Ryan Trahan is somebody that his content itself, when he did the Penny series, right? I, I, I watched it as well. I watched some of it. You know, I'm not going to say I watched all of it because I, I, I didn't think it was particularly interesting. And this was my personal opinion, right? But the way he made his content, he was so likable that it's just like sometimes, like I just clicked the video because I liked the guy. He was fun to watch him. I mean, and that carried me through multiple videos. Videos that, when it comes down to content, had so minimal amount of content. It had nothing to do with the, the grandiose idea of what was behind his content. It was a very simple concept. But he was so likable. The video was well edited, you know, in a way that even elevated that likeness and stuff. It helps. 
you know, but people don't think about it. And another thing as well is that liking goes beyond yourself because many creators use side characters. You have your friend. A friend is a side character, you know, and um, is that when your friend isn't likable, you can be likable all you want, but if people can't stand your friend and your friend takes up 40% of the screen time, you're gonna have people tune out because, you know, you are influenced, your likeness is affected by your friends. Wow. <laughs> uh, I remember I remember when we were together, uh, you told me that um, about uh, Nassim, the guy that mm. uh, I had in my videos. I love Nassim. It's not the reason that we stop working. It's not because of you that you, but you told me there is <laughs> not <God. laughs> a great reason. There is not a yeah. great reason to keep watching uh, him. There is not something really appealing about him. There is not something really spicy about him, but, but it's very interesting. Now I'm not comparing him, but, but I'm seeing, I, I have my teacher in, in my videos, my high school teacher. And there is a lot of, a lot of comments about that. And before there is no, there was no comments about Nassim. Yeah. So you just see and you get these hints. And also in real life, like nobody dislikes my teacher in real life because he he's very is humble. 55 he, years I, I old. Watch it as well. And he, so, uh, so it's, it's very interesting. So, uh, but, uh, you, you took me to the very fundamental thing. Uh, like you, I think you are touching now the essence or like the real thing of, of it. Uh, because all the other stuff is just, let's say tricks. If you don't have this fundamental thing, like if Emma Chamberlain is getting five million, she was getting, I don't know, I don't follow exactly what she's doing now. She was getting five million views in every video at one point. So it's, uh, and the videos are not like cutting, cutting, it's like talking for to the camera for like one minute. So I think you are right. And also Nelk as well with all these things and it's like ability as well. So I think you, yes. Uh, but how do you internalize that? And, and how do you understand what's the right thing uh, to do as a thing? And how do you find some uh, ways to not betray a different character, but betray better yourself. Uh, that is is is, is likable. That's that's the money question, I think. It's and, it's the and, same way when you go to a job interview, right? If you go to a job interview, you dress well, you talk, you avoid certain topics, you you address certain topics, you talk a certain way. You know, if you go on a date, for example, you show the best side of yourself. This is exactly the same thing. There's nothing different about it. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest, like even here talking to you, I'm presenting a certain side of myself. Like, you know, I have a wife, soon a kid, right? With my, like on this podcast, I'm not gonna be like, Gucci, Gucci, Gucci. When I'm here with my kid, I'm gonna be Gucci, Gucci, Gucci. That's a side of myself I'm showing in a particular situation. On YouTube, this is the exact same thing, right? Again, being yourself, showing your true self, is a valuable trend in a lot of cases. Not all cases, some, some documentary style videos, for example, they don't need much personality, they need more, more information driven. But it is exactly that. How you show up is the exact same way as you show up for your job interview, with your friends or anything like that. There are certain types that are fitting and certain types that are not fitting given the situation. You know, 
um, the way I'm talking right now, like the way I'm ed- like more talking the educational voices because I'm trying. My intention is to educate, right? Um, if I want to be very likable or something, I might not have to be the way that I am, and I'm, I'm more loose or anything. You might But start giving kind of money. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll never say no, no. Uh, but that's exactly what you have to think about: is just put yourself in the right position, pick the personality—no, not the personality. Pick the side of you that is most fitting for the situation. If you're a creator, you gotta show your creator side. And that's the reason why, in most cases, right, when you meet a creator, you, there's always this idea like, ah, oh, they're gonna be different off screen. They're not. I mean, I've met you. You're exactly the same way as you are in real life as you're on screen. I mean, you're exactly the same way. Uh, so there's no difference. And then there's other, like, there's, there's uh, everybody that I work with. I mean, I can hang out with them in real life. They're not going to be screaming at the camera. I mean, when I talk to you, like, <laughs> it's not that you'd scream suddenly at me. That would be weird and obnoxious. And I'd, I'd, I'd not like you at all. But in a, in a given context, you know, in real life, you have a calm moment. You talk calm. I get to see the calm side of you. But your core personality doesn't change. You are who you are. That's just the thing. You're just showing a different side of yourself when it's there. It's not di- It's not a different you. It's not a different personality. Now, there are some people who have a different personality. And when they get met in real life, you're going to be so thrown off. Because, again, some people are inherently really bad people. But they're not going to show that on camera. Nobody's going to show that they're horrible on camera. So that could come as a shock. But in most cases, most creators are really good people, you know, and they, they just show, they just take the small unlikable elements and they just remove those when they're on camera. And when you're in real life, you know, there are certain personality traits you might not like, but they're not particularly bad or anything like that, you know? So that's so just to, I was, to give an idea. So while you were talking, uh, uh, you touch a bit on the documentary and different kind of uh, some people want more information stuff. So uh, I had a, a big argument yesterday uh, in, with my teacher in the car and we were arguing if uh, uh, he, I told him that I know how to make a documentary because I will approach it the same way that I'm going to approach a YouTube video and it will have good uh, retention. And he said that, He doesn't think that I will uh, have a successful documentary because that's a different format and people are willing to sit down and and watch more uh, of uh, talking without cutting and talking of information, if it's great information, even for four minutes. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. If you think human behavior that... Uh, Uh, I have on my video translate to a podcast behavior. And if I, not a podcast, a documentary, and if I need to approach them the same way. I, I, I think I must agree with your teacher in this case. I, because when you watch a documentary, you go with the intention to experience something in a different way. There's a, there's different intent. Now, that being said, I would also disagree with him in a certain degree. I think retention, te- real retention tactics, not the ones that people claim are retention tactics, You know, if we talk about... Watch until the end to see this. <laughs> that does not work. I mean, I've seen data. It just doesn't work. It makes no sense. You're not giving them a reason. There's no, there's no unique value proposition. There's nothing that keeps them there. So in this case, certain retention tactics, actual real retention tactics, such as likability, you know, making sure that your content keeps progressing, you know, visualization, all those real retention tactics, they apply regardless of whether it's a documentary or whether it is YouTube content or a short. 
But the thing is, I guess, in the end, though, we have to understand the intent of our audience. Our, the intent of our audience with a documentary style is to be taken through a journey, which is typically a very engagement-focused experience. However, we still need to keep them interested. So it is still different. And if you don't go with that intention, you make it exactly like a YouTube video, it's going to fail because when it comes down to this very high-paced stuff, nobody can last 50 minutes of this high-paced stuff. It's too much. You can be a... You can be a 13-year-old child and you'll struggle with that one. And people are like, yeah, but people, you know, 13-year-old kids, they watch on repeat. It's like 10-minute video, 10-minute video, 10-minute video. Well, between each 10-minute video, there is a small break still, you know? It's not that it continues. But if you have a 50-minute 50 50 continuous experience, you have to focus on immersion. You have to focus on slow development. And you're talking more direction traditional at this point. So retention, real retention tactics still work, but at the same time, we have to understand the motivation and the intent of our audience here. Okay, and uh, now after uh, hyping it for so long uh, that we're going to touch in why you left the organization of Mr. Beast and what you are doing now with your life and why you decided or what happened. Uh, I'm very curious. I don't know. It's been a long yeah. time since we spoke. Yeah, we actually, actually, we, we have not, we have actually thought, completely not talked about this one. Uh, I've also not been open too much. Like I've, I've, I've briefly hinted on it online, but pretty much, you know, I, 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 in last December, I started having this feeling that I wanted to do something bigger. I wanted to do something that actually has an impact. And you know, working in the beast team, I mean, it is extremely impactful, right? But that's an impact that Jimmy's gonna have regardless whether I'm with him or not. I mean, you know, he was successful before me. He is, was successful while I was with him and he will be successful afterwards. I mean, he's doing his great thing. He's going to have a great impact regardless. But I wanted to really have an impact myself and I wanted to, and then that made me think like, what kind of impact do I want to have? What am I good at? What, what is the thing that I can contribute to society as a whole, right? And again, you know, when I talk about that big thinking, the big thinking probably got to my head there. You know, it, it's like, while well, when I wanted to start being YouTube, I just wanted to be able to work on the biggest channel and then our biggest channels and then just, you know, dominate that way. But unfortunately, that is limited. And that's like, Beast was the biggest thing. Once you've had a taste of that, once you've had enough time with that, when you want to do something bigger. So eventually, you know, I talked about it with, with him and his team as well. And eventually, eventually it was clear to me that I have to go, I have to do this. I have to go on my own and start something. And I was a particular project that I had in mind. So what I, what my goal is right now is that I wanted to build a research and, and, and consulting company and so that we can take all these learnings, everything that I do and scale it to a whole new level. For example, right now I look at these research papers that use MRI scans, right? It's great, it looks at the brain, the problem is I don't like the scale that it's done at. I don't like the method sometimes, but I'm constrained to the, how the research is done. What if I just do it myself? You know, like the reason why it's a research and consulting company is because one, the company needs to generate money. The amount of money that a company that to the scale that I want to do it at, we're talking about tens of millions, hundreds of millions that it's going to need one day, you know, because MRI machines, if you look up the price of them, they ain't cheap, you know, and the people that are operating those MRI machines are also not cheap. And typically you don't hire one person, you hire multiple people. So to be able to do the research that I want to do is going to require such a huge operation. So that's the reason why I decided to step back, to start this from scratch, you know, start building my research team, 
start building these people, train these people how to generate new knowledge. Because it's not about read. You, like I care really about the new knowledge, the generation of new knowledge, and I think within YouTube, new lo- knowledge specifically to video s- creation, specifically to audiences and how audiences consume content. So uh, it is a very wide thing. That's the reason why I have a when I stepped away. I also have a ten-year vision at the moment for me for how my company is going to grow initially. That would be the initial growth stage, like ten years. I want this to be a journey that I want to be on my deathbed one day and be like, okay. The journey has just begun. That's the feeling I want to have. I want to be like, okay, I made a contribution. I made an impact. I started something that now the people behind me can now start working on, you know? So the way that I do this is this. Our knowledge and audiences and audience engagement and audience, how audiences watch content is so minimal. I mean, even me, I, I mean, I'm, it might seem that a lot of questions that you had, I had all the answers for it because these are still the so-called basic questions that we can ask. If we want to go deeper, we have to ask way more complex questions. For example, if we think about liking, right? Okay, what are the components behind liking a person? You know, there's more components, you know, it's not just liking a person, likable or not. There's more components to it. So that's the reason why I wanted to build a company that is actually doing just that. It's just this company with a bunch of smart people that are trying to solve these more complex problems. We generate new knowledge and then we bring this to the to the industry. So what this means is that I want to make sure that there is a free public education when it comes down to YouTube or audience content creation. This is, the, this is just giving away knowledge. And then there's the aspect that is like, okay, this is information that's extremely valuable. And this is information we sell to consultants, creators, or a, a, any type of company. So f- first of all, for me to understand. So basically, as I understood, your assumption is that if you have MRI scanners while people watch content, you're going to understand what make them tick, what did they like about the video, what was the best moment, where, where they, they... We're going we're, we're, we're to be able to get more insights, at least. Like more insights that we... Like currently we have data. This data is already stronger than most research. Uh, like Because again, if 100,000 people are tuning out, that's better than seeing like one person have like a little tick in their brain. But sometimes we don't truly understand why. Like we know we know that they tune out. We have assumptions and theories to why they tune out. And it's consistent across the board. But the true human nature, the true human behavior, the brain, the way the brain reacts and all kind of stuff, we don't know much about that one. Right? We because most research is driven based on medical stuff, you know, and that all credit to that one. I mean, we have to take care of, of, of people who are struggling with the brain or just sick people in general, right? We want to take care of them. And that's a great thing. But there's not a lot of research that is done. And I'm saying not a lot because there is some private research. But there's not a lot of public research that is done aimed to just get a general understanding where, yes, people can use this knowledge just to make a shit ton of money. And that's fine. Because at the end, I, I, I look at it like this. This new knowledge can help us better understand us as humans. And you know this whole theory that AI is taking over and stuff? You know, there's one big thing that we can take away from that. That and as we are automating ourselves as humans, you know, because we are, that's what we're doing, we will have more time to do whatever we want. It's a, it's a natural side effect. I'm not going to say this is in the next 10 years or 20 years. I'm not saying that. But there will come a time that we can have AI and stuff completely take over. Hopefully. Hopefully, there will definitely be certain creativity-focused roles and stuff that will be difficult, 
uh, difficult slash impossible, depending on how everything works out. But the thing is like this, and this is the beautiful thing. Eventually, stuff can take over. And the good thing is like this. What will matter once that happens? It's how entertained we are and the experience of life. And that's going to heavily depend on the way that we adjust and make stuff more enjoyable for humans, right? Because that's the end goal. The end goal is just to make stuff more enjoyable for humans. So the way that I see it is that if we have such a lack of knowledge on how to make stuff a better experience, but the natural trajectory of how humans will evolve way beyond we are alive, you know, me and you are alive, like way, way beyond this one, at some point the focus is going to be a lot more on the way that people experience life, then it is only right to start working on the knowledge because we barely know how humans behave, right? We, we just don't know how they think and stuff. I mean, we know some stuff, but if we look at old, old psychology, I'm, I'm saying old and old is like even 30-year-old psychology, so much stuff is just not true. And we can prove this through research, right? So there's so little that we know. It's time that we start working on this because it's, it's going to probably happen sooner than later that we can start replacing ourselves. And I see this as a good thing. You know, so can, can I rephrase what you said? So you basically said that humans that are not going to be doing, uh, they're going to be doing less and less and less work by the years. So you uh, see a very, very bright and big future on their entertainment of the humans. So you want to start really drilling down to the theory, the science, and everything to understand about what makes human tick while they watch content. And you want to start this process uh, for for the next 10, 20, 30 years because you see the world going in that direction. Absolutely. I think that's completely right. And I like I don't look at myself as the, the, the great guy who's going to solve it all. I just see myself as a part of the puzzle, right? The way that... The way that any science got developed one day, you know, it's not that one person owns mathematics it, or owns psychology or owns a particular field. No, nobody owns that. But there were particular people who played a significant role in the development. And I really found this like motivation to, I want to be one of those people. And I think I'm in a perfect position because I, I, I get to work with the, I got a, sh- a lot of data to work with. I get the support of a lot of people. I'm lucky enough to be in a really great financial situation because of, you know, the past years working in this industry. And when you work with big YouTubers, you know, it, it puts you in a good situation. Uh, so I, I'm like, okay. okay. But we're not allowed to say how much Mr. Beast was giving you? No, no. <laughs> okay. The only <laughs> thing I can say, and also, it's, it wasn't only him where I got my revenue from. I, I worked with another creator that has, has, has worked out very well for me. Um, because that creator grew very much, it went well, and now as well, I'm, I'm working with a lot of clients, and it's let's put it like this: even after the beast, I'm, I'm I'm doing very well. Let's put it like that. Um, so do do you you make more money after beast or less money? I just actually, say that. Actually, I even a month after beast, I'm I'm about to already make more money than I was making when I was with beast, and I had a side client, you know. So it is. It's it's going very let's let's put it like this the demand is the demand is good and I'm having very good partners to work with already, so <laughs> uh, now so the thing is like this I'm in a very lucky situation there so I'm like okay I can live this out I can just do the comfortable life but that's boring you know it's boring because you're just 
I mean, yes, I have a kid on the way. The ki- kids are kids are expensive. I notice. You know, it's gonna be that's gonna be something else, and I don't know how I'm going to handle a kid. Uh, but you know, again, if if you love your, in, in my case, it's gonna be a son. So if I love my son, it's gonna be completely fine. I have my wife relying on me. Uh, but the good thing is, I moved to Bulgaria now, which is a country that is not too expensive. Taxes are also great, which makes it that things are very good for business. That's my question. So you can do YouTubing, YouTubing stuff from Bulgaria. You need to come to United States to experience, to see, to meet the people, to not have wonders how they do it, what they do. So, so do you think it's possible from the initially to to be in Absolutely. this industry without? Uh, so touch on that because I, I, that's there is so many creators around the world that they want to come to United States to pursue. Uh, YouTube. So. It is not necessary. It is definitely not necessary. I mean, America is great. America has great opportunities, and that's how I always saw it. America, I'd never, I never felt home in America either. Right? It, it was just, it felt like, it really felt like I was just taking, like I was just, I was embracing an opportunity, right? But I never felt like that. And the thing is, I guess I, I know a ton of creators in Europe, even people that make English-speaking content that do extremely well. Right, they're doing extremely well. Some of them, I mean, some of them have empires of businesses almost just off their content. It's absolutely insane. They're not in America. America is great, but you don't have to be there. And the same happens for everybody behind the scenes. An editor, I truly believe this, doesn't need to be on location. There are benefits to having somebody on location. There's certain communications, certain people work better in a team environment, and certain people work harder in a team environment. But not for everybody is necessary to be there. I worked with multiple people that have had a have, have had a good impact. Um, that I've never met them in real life. I've never been there. I don't know what their process looks like, because that's the lucky thing about my job. I just have to figure out what goes wrong and give you suggestions on how to improve it. Now I'm gonna but, say, but yeah, but. but. Uh, I'm probably are going to touch on it, but I'm going to interrupt you. We're never going to meet. Me and you, if we n- n- never, if you were not in the United States, also you were never going to have, like, I remember you had a lot of conversations while I was watching you with other YouTubers about this. So these side things that is not on a Zoom call that, that you chill and you go to the bar or you just want the shooting finish and you are talking about the shooting that you were never going to do that if you were not there. So there, there are some, uh, stuff that you- there is a benefit about this human, like the human connection between two people. And that I, I like, I can say like, you know, I remember that we we were sitting in the side room on this couch and that was just a normal chill conversation that we would have never had in a zoom call you don't you don't sit there all relaxing in a zoom call you don't i mean you show up you you know you're you're presenting yourself in a certain way you have even the certain camera angle that you're using matters um so yes there are some things but i think there are events for this as well so there is something called vid summit which we went to there's a lot of people i've met there i've had some great conversations through zoom still uh, sometimes as well, like every single time, I literally this morning, I think half an hour before we started this, this talking, I had a message from somebody from a country next to Bulgaria who was like, Hey, I'm, I'm free in August the 13th. And he's going to drive every year. He drives down to Bulgaria just to meet up in person. We can do those things. 
you know. So there is still, I, I, I cannot say that it's not a benefit, but I don't think it's always necessary. So it's definitely a benefit, but this is more like a personal benefit, like a, a, a personal connection, a relationship. This is less related to the efficiency of work. Efficiency of work is something completely different. So. But a relationship, it's a currency that you can use in the future, though. I would agree. I would agree, yeah. It's, there's benefits to a relationship. There's also additional stuff. So maybe, again, maybe you can do short-term the same thing, but long-term you might miss to some opportunities? Yes. If you are, like, I mean, I'll, I'll put it like this. When I consult, when I tell, I have off days. Because guys, we are, we are the right people to talk about this. We are both foreigners, not in the United States, <laughs> kept in the United States, been in the YouTube industry, <laughs> met the biggest YouTubers in the world. So uh, this is, <laughs> we are qualified to talk about this <laughs> because this is something that we struggle because yeah. like our, we want to be close to our families. Like we know the benefits of being in other countries that is 10 times cheaper. Even for me to make a video, I can make a video with $2,000 uh, in my country and I can spend 10, 15,000 here in the United States and I would not even make the same quality. So it's like there is huge stuff. So it's like always uh, outweighing it's, the pros and cons. And like, I, I assume that that was a big uh, moral uh, thing that you were struggling as well. Do I need to be here in the United States? Because I remember you were very excited that you that you got your visa and you thought that you were going to stay here for long term. Now oh, absolutely. Went, I mean, one of the so. biggest things that I struggle with, and, and I'm not going to, like, at this point, I feel confident that I made the right decision, but I was working with the biggest creator on YouTube. And now I'm deciding here to step away from it. And not only that, I'm not only stepping away from him. I mean, I've made friends, like some of the people that work with him are some of the greatest people I've ever met. They're so amazing. They're so nice, everything. I'm, I'm, so I'm giving up friends. I'm giving up a great living situation because, you know, some people say that, that Jimmy's exploitive and stuff. I, this is all lies, like generally. Like, and this is from my personal experience. He's taken extremely good care of me. He's extremely taking good care of people around him. You know, absolutely. So I'm leaving all this behind. I'm leaving behind a great salary because I was I, I I was in a fortunate situation as well. And I'm leaving behind the opportunity to work with the biggest creator. If anybody tells me that that's not like a a complete mind blend, then that is so like, your grandmother would be pissed off at you. Yeah, like <laughs> that's it. So I'm deciding to step away from all that for an opportunity. That is scary. I mean, you know, but you have to at some point make those decisions, and everybody has to make those decisions. When I came to Bulgaria, I could have moved to Belgium close to my family, but I'm like, what is important to me? This mission, this vision is more important. You know, so that's the reason why I always say. Have a very solid vision in life. Know why you're doing what you're doing. And then every decision that you make has to weigh up against the vision. If it gets you closer to the vision, you do it, regardless of the, almost regardless of the, of the consequences. If it doesn't get you closer to the vision, then you might want to reconsider your decision. And this was one of the exact moments that happened with Beast. At some point I was like, okay, it's not getting me closer to the vision that I want anymore. You know? So maybe I take this decision that short-term harms and is a huge downside and long-term is going to hopefully work out. You know, I'm saying hopefully because we're not there yet. So, I mean, I haven't built uh, a business that yet. <laughs> I, I remember that I saw your tweet that you that you stopped working with Mr. Biz and you said that you was trying your own thing and uh, we messaged back and forth and you said that I think I have something in my hand, this vision that I have that is a hundred million dollar company. So yeah. you, 
I call so, it I call so it a hundred million dollar project. So and the reason why is this is because I, I think a company like this can be valued way more than hundred million. I'm never in it for the money. I've like yes, initially I needed to get money to make sure that I can afford a, the living style that I do and everything that I want to do. I mean, hiring people ain't cheap. But in the end, it's never about the money. The only thing that I think is I need the resources to get to do what I want to do, a vision. And this is the biggest thing is, if you want to make a, big, a really big vision happens, you're going to need money. You're going to need money because you need to pay people. You need to pay research. You need to, pay, you need to buy everything. And for that reason, I was like, okay, if I set my goal at a million dollars, which I've done before, when I stopped with gaming, I was like, oh, I want to make a million by 35. Three years later, I was like, damn, I'm very on track. And I, like at this point, it's like, okay, at this point, it's inevitable even. So that is one of the things that I'm like, okay, why did I set that goal so low? You know, now I have, I, I have what I want. I have the life that I want, but now it's like, okay, that, that's it. So if I want to create my new vision, I have to have financial goals that match that vision. And I call it a hundred million dollar plan because I, I've, I, what I did is I sat down with myself. I made an entire company structure and I'm like, okay, this is, and I'm probably going to be so wrong about how this company flows, but that's, I was like, okay, if I do this one, how much is this going to cost me? And I was like, okay, that's going to be a company, you know, within the next 10 years, it's probably going to be a company between 100 and 200 people. I, I really want to go big here. Um, so how much is that going to cost me? And I was like, okay, if, 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 if I don't have a company that is able to generate those amount of revenues that it can be valued at 100 million, I'm not going to be, uh, I don't believe I'm going to be able to achieve my vision. And the thing I think is, I, I, I'm fine financially already in life. I, I, have a, I have an amazing wife. I have a kid on the way. Like my life is set, but at the same time, it's like, okay, you always need something to aim for. That's the reason why I call it a $100 million plan. And even in the company now as well, it helps because now with the people that I hired, I tell them, I don't want you to design this company or design everything that you do so that it helps me move forward in the next month. I want you to design every process for when we have 200 people. You know, and, and it's rigorous and it's not always profitable. Uh, not every, everybody's profitable. I'm very profitable, but not the people. You know, my employees cost me money and they don't make me money. But what they do is they are helping me put the processes into place so that when we grow and scale, suddenly we have something that's ready to handle. So, uh, you already people. have uh, how many people uh, working with you? So I'm currently, I, I got two people hired and I'm, I, I am currently hiring uh, one more person in a very short notice and within... I, I hope within this next year that I'm, I'm able to hire 10 more people. So I really, my goal was, I don't want to scale too, too fast, but I also don't want to scale slow because speed and, is of And you essence. are doing every, everything remotely or you are doing so everything? Far, uh, so far, I'm doing everything remotely. However, I'm working with a hiring company in Bulgaria to hire some in-person people. But at the same time, I, I, I want to like, I'm first going to have remote because it makes no sense to buy an office building. And then to have two people in that, that makes no sense. So I want to make sure that I have a team of about 10 people before I actually buy my office space. And then I'm going to move people into the office space. I'm already talking and, and talking with like uh, people who create office spaces and stuff. Um, so I am looking at property for office space, which is great neighborhood and everything. And, and all um, the funding is out of your pocket, right? It's is, all out of my own pocket. It's, it's scary. It is definitely scary. But at the same time, it is one of those things that I don't, this is how I look at funding, right? Funding can be great in a lot of cases, but I've seen what funding does to companies. Funding typically steers the company, like company starts with a vision, funding comes in, and then you go towards money. Money is important to make the business go. 
But the problem is the second that you start getting too much investment, and I'm saying too much because I'm sure that at some point I'll take some investment. I don't know, but I want to delay it as much as possible so that at all costs I can, I can stick to my vision and not have to worry about making sure that my stakeholders are happy or anything like that. I don't want to be reliant on stakeholders. If I'm ever reliant on stakeholders, and I'll make this claim right now, if I'm yes. ever reliant on them for my vision, that is not the company that I want to have. So, and also the other benefit from eventually, I don't know. <laughs> and also the other benefit is you have constraints and you think outside the box yeah. and blah blah. When you don't have unlimited money, yeah. So there are some options. So, there are some ways to have like um, an incredible amount of investment without like where you still have a lot of decision making power and the people still benefit from the profits. So so, so these are two two separate things like. Your clients are different business of YouTube and your research project is a different thing or is this one company? It's one company, but the services are different. So I have the research, like it's almost like you have a company and then you have multiple pillars of what you do. So you have the research stuff. So my company, the thing is like this, the whole goal currently of my company is to make as much knowledge as possible and then my time goes towards selling this knowledge and AXE consulting and advising people based on this knowledge. Now we are working on some projects that can go beyond my time because again, you don't want to make a company completely reliant on a single person. You want to make it rely on multiple people, but that's a slow process. And I don't see my, I don't see the company be there in the next two years. It's also not the business plan for the next two years. So, so you are going, you are taking clients for the next month, similar to what Paddy Gallo is doing, like maybe do a meeting with them or how is the structure that you. It is similar. So currently what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm having people that I believe I can still have a long relationship with. And these are definitely clients that I'm like, hey, this content I'm passionate about. Because I had a, I had a, I had a, I had a channel the other day that reached out, and I was like, I want to, like, let's do some consulting. And I was like, okay, I, I quoted my fee, and they were happy. And this was not, a, this was not a small fee. But then I was like, I really don't want how to much. I well, we. <laughs> I don't want to say the exact fee because you know it, 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 it is always risky to say your exact fee. But let's put it like this: it's, it's. It's on the highest end of the consultants currently. So if you want to do research into what consultants charge, you'll definitely. So Paddy Gala was charging 400, I think. Uh, There are 700. So you are on the high end for one hour. We're definitely above that. Uh, But this is because (laughs) this is the way that I see it, right? The way that I see it. So guys, you receive more than $1,000 of value here because this is a lot of. (laughs) The question. So th- let's say yeah. thank you to Mario that he focused his time <laughs> no, here. But I, I, anyway, this continue. Is just, <laughs> this is just sharing like random. I, this is like a three a.m. conversation, right? That's how I see it. But no, it's it's the thing with these clients as well. I know that if I give them the right information, their channel grows. They'll make tremendous amounts of money, way more than what I charge them. But the example that I wanted to go to was that I, 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 was, I was selling to a price with this person. I was like, I don't want to do any of this stuff. Like, this is just working on content that I don't like. And at that point, I said, okay, it's, it's, it's either a ridiculous fee. So I, I gave him the, the, you know, everybody needs to have a little bit of a fuck you price. This is the price that is like, okay, regardless of how much you like it or not, you will take this. And sorry for my Yes, if they here. give me $10,000, I can go and fly to a place for a day and do whatever they want. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So everybody has that price at some point. And, you know, regardless of who you are, the price is going to be lower or higher than another person. So, but then, you know, eventually we didn't work out. And I'm like, that's perfect. 
you know, and that's the exact situation that I'm in right now is where there are certain projects that I'm like, I love working on this one. It's fun. You know, I have a few of those projects right now that I'm like, it's just the, the vision behind this project that I can be behind. And I'm very lucky because again, I don't have to worry about the finances that much anymore. So I can work on the projects now and choose the projects accordingly. But the main goal is this. I don't want to do too many projects either because I want to build this business. I believe that this business, which is also the book, for example, the reason why I'm doing this business is because I want to find a way to contribute and, and sh help shape the knowledge on YouTube. Eventually, I want to go beyond YouTube. But for now, I want to start with YouTube, start there and create a solid foundation on knowledge about audiences. So that's so, how the business so you, So, so you... Uh, it's perfect. I, 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 I don't know if anybody cares, but it was very interesting for me to understand the structure of the business that you're doing and all this stuff. But uh, um, you told me like probably a year ago that you're starting to write a book. Yeah, so I, 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 uh, I started working on a book because right now, if you're a small creator, there's books out there. You know, there, you got Daryl Eves's book, for example, the YouTube Formula, you can read that one. There's some other YouTube books. You can read those and you can get your introduction to YouTube. But the problem is, and I think you, you can agree to this one, is that when, when you reach a certain level as a creator, you know, 500K subs, 1 million subs, or anything like that, when you're a larger creator... There is nothing. There's nothing. Nothing. Exactly. There is not even podcast. You know more, uh, you cannot watch a podcast and learn. And there's, there's no, it's like so... Yeah, there's nothing. So <laughs> I was like, okay, what can I do that... And you just watch a Mr. Beast podcast or a big creator podcast and they throw one thing in a two hour conversation that may, may make yeah. you understand and things it's extremely in different valuable. ways. It's extremely valuable, <laughs> but there's nothing condensed. There's nothing presented the right way. So I was like, what's the best thing? And I was like, okay, anybody who wants to leave an impact writes books because it's the best way to pass on knowledge. So I was like, okay, let's start with a book. And I'm not a great writer. I'm going to be completely honest. This book... I mean, this book is going to be edited like crazy by, by, by people who know how to write books and stuff. But at the same time, I'm currently working on the book. I, I, I wrote this book like so many times already because I, I, it was, um, I was yesterday talking to an author to, cause I thought like, okay, this is probably the wrong process, but I write like a hundred pages and then I'm like, I'm not happy. Throw it out. And I did this like seven times already at this point. You know, it's, it's just a shitty process. Uh, I mean, not all of them were 100 pages, thank God. Some of them were like 30 or 50 pages, but, you know, it is well, it's still a significant amount of pages and I would constantly throw it out. Now I feel like I'm finally at a book, you know, now everything starts flowing. And, uh, you know, when I was talking to the other, he's like, this is very normal. Everything that you make, you just throw it out. And then at some point it flows and I'm like, okay, thank God. But basically right now I'm on a, on a, on a schedule. I'm trying to get this book ready by the end of the year. Uh, and this book hopefully, and I'm saying hopefully because that's my intention, it will set a standard for, okay, this is what the knowledge is now. This is how you have to look at these stuff. You know, the stuff that we talked about earlier with the retention charts and stuff, it's going to cover those kind of things. And I want this book, it's not going to give all the answers. It won't. It will never do that. But it will, be, it will set people up. It will give you some initial knowledge. It will give you the, the principles, the expertise that you need to either go on your own way, you know, and do this all yourself and explore it, or to to at least understand everything that goes behind it so that you understand, like, okay, content creation is more than just putting on the camera. I mean, putting on the camera is one part. It's the, it's, I'm not saying it's the easiest part, but it's the most straightforward part. 
you know, while the, all the nuances and understanding like, okay, how does, how does something like camera angles affect my, my, my engagement or how does word choice? That, I want to discuss this in this book. And I'm, I'm, that's the whole plan of this book is that you start from it knowing nothing. And by the end of it, you're, you have this thought like, okay, at least I have some understanding about what it takes to engage an audience. So, and again, my goal isn't to make profit with the book. I don't think it's going to generate a lot of sales because this book isn't catered to beginners or anything like that. This is catered to just the people who want to know. So it's going to be a book that is like, it's not going to make me any profit, but at the same time, it will give me at least a feeling that I've contributed a little bit to the creator community. And hopefully- And to the tree of knowledge. Exactly. It's just, I'm a little, you know, you get the, the hill of ants and every single ant is like bringing a little food. And, and this is hopefully my piece of food. And hopefully it's a huge leaf that everybody in the queen, the queen ants is happy or whatever, however it works. So, so now I'm going to be excited about hopefully this year, two books. There is uh, Walter Isaacson is writing a part two uh, of Elon Musk biography and mm. your book about high level uh, YouTubing and retention and all this yeah. stuff. So please do it this year and promise me that we're going to discuss this on this podcast when you have it. Uh, oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Read. I mean, you know, I, the only reason why I haven't <laughs> talked too much about the book is because I'm like, it's more important that I get the book finished than that I start promoting the book. Once the book is ready, I can promote it all I want. I can talk about it all I want because the book is done. But in a book that isn't written fully, it's a book that's not there. And I have to be completely objective about that. Right now, it's just me sitting in my little room, just writing, 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 and, and, and wanting to, wanting to, you know, just, just, I, I don't know how to say this, but wanting to, wanting to not, not be so much alive, you know? When you're writing a book like that, it's like, oh, this is, it's, it's, it's not a fun process, but, if with the, with, the, with the right vision in mind, I think I think this book, I hope this book is going to change the way that we as as creators can look at books, and that there's finally something for the big creator to to be like, ah, now I have something that at least uh, gives me direction. And now you and now you touched on my question. The we talked about before that we are lucky because we understand these things and we can tell better stories. We can make people understand what we say. And you have the skill of retention and you are writing a book. So you are trying to keep the retention of the listeners of the book. And like there is a lot of people that they give talks uh, out there. They're teachers or they want to just be engaging. Do you have some tips for this outside YouTube stuff? Like some general stuff. You start with a hook. You explain what you're going to say. I don't know. This is, you have so the mic. I, I, I'll give the best information that I think people can learn from this. Uh, by the way, also, when I talked about the 10-year plan with the company, the whole goal is to bring this from YouTube, this knowledge, and then eventually integrate it into, into education. I want to go YouTube, marketing, traditional media, education. So, because I believe this understanding humans and how they consume is better. And this is the best advice that I have that will across the board work. It's have a true understanding about what makes content repetitive and how to simplify things to avoid confusion. So there's two parts to this one, right? So first of all, when it comes down to repetition, uh, this is something that I will discuss in the book as well, but there's something that I would always name implied repetition. When you, when you say something and you explain a point, 
you know, sure. Now, when you explain the, the exact same way, that's repetition. However, if you take in another example and it touches on the same points and the same, like it's the same logic thread, that's something that I would name implied repetition. While the actual packaging is different, the actual experience of the explanation or the actual experience is the exact same. When you do that, you have implied repetition and this is actually bad for engagement. Um, this is a more nuanced thing, but this applies to everything. So l l let me give example to what you are saying for me to make sure that I understood. So you basically said when you're going to start say, okay, today we're going to talk about uh, cameras. Uh, and you explain, okay, let's say, uh, do you know what a camera is? And you say, okay, let's say a camera on your phone and you explain the camera on your phone. And then you explain again, okay, another example for you to understand what a camera is, uh, is, uh, okay, do you remember those cameras with film or whatever? And you give the same example about the same thing. So now it becomes redundant. But if you said, uh, for example, uh, what a camera is. And then you said, uh, maybe you start, oh, the camera started, uh, from this field and then it became to what you have now in the phone. And you give this example, you just shifted some stuff and now it's not redundant. It's actually kind of engaging. It's, 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 it's an example that doesn't fully touch on the nuance, but it is, you are touching on the, the core concept behind it, which is the idea that we want to introduce new information, preferably. It doesn't always have to be new information, but information that at least either progresses based on our last point or adds a new, a new way of looking at it. So we want to actually create new connections almost within our brain. Uh, and that is going to make sure that our brain stays sufficiently stimulated enough so that we stay engaged and stay hooked. And that's one of the things that we can, I mean, this is the, one of the reasons why in education, and I'll go to education, I don't know if you've had this before or anybody else would have this before, but people fall asleep during school. That doesn't mean that they're bad students. I was one of those people. I fell asleep all the time. I wanted to sleep all of it. It's because my brain wasn't sufficiently stimulated because we were just repeating and we were being so repetitive for the sake of having people understand stuff better. Repetition doesn't help people understand stuff better necessarily, you know, and I'm saying necessarily because repetition does help memorability and all that kind of stuff. There are some benefits to repetition and education, but the, the thing is like this, when something is simplified and better explained so that there's no room for confusion with uh, a person who has troubles understanding certain concepts, right? When something is better explained, there's no need for repetition. And this way, what you can do is what we actually want to do is we want to actually cater stuff so it's easier to understand rather than repeat stuff because repeating is not suddenly going to make stuff click for people. That's not how human minds work. It's not because we, sometimes yes, because we something repeat something, suddenly the person is like, ah, but that's because they had more time to think about it. It's not because you necessarily repeated it. It's when you give them new information that suddenly they get stuff or you just explain it in a better way. And that's one of the one of the biggest things when it comes down to repetition is just like, okay, really understanding the idea of intellectual stimulus almost, right? Is how do we stimulate the brain enough to keep them engaged? And repetition is one of the things that kills it the most. It is something we know. We see this in retention charts. I mean, retention charts don't give all information. I always think about it like this. If retention chart shows us information, it's really bad. 
Because again, you don't see the impact of music on retention. You know, you don't see if, if, if song A or B has an influence because it's a passive influence that takes you through the whole video. But if you say something that's confusing, people are going to get out. You know, if you say something that's repetitive, you see, you know, people go away. We see this with our eyes, which shows that it is actually majorly impactful or like significantly impactful. So that is one thing that applies. And then the simplifying and the confusion, that's with immersion as well, is if you, the second you confuse somebody, you will lose the engagement unless they care enough. You know, if they care enough, sure, they'll stick around because they really, they have this internal desire to resolve the issue. But in most cases- if cases, they like you enough. Yeah, then, then, then maybe that's the case where they might stay engaged. But if, if you are some, some random person and they get confused, they'll be like, okay, whatever. Because our brains isn't designed, like our brain doesn't like to be confused. We like to be in control. We like to make sense of the world. So that's what we'll try to do if we care enough. If we don't care enough, we'll just step away from it. But there is uh, a kind of uh, a line because you need to not over explain everything because it will be boring and you need to explain enough so they understand what you are talking so they are not confused. So how do you find uh, this balance? In every time you talk. <laughs> yeah, no. I, in all the lines you say. It is related to, to word choice, for example. You know, word choice is important. You can't just instantly start using complex terms without prior explanation to those terms. You know, that's one of the things. There's other tactics. And this is all educational stuff. I mean, this is definitely not new. I'm not the one who invented this, this, this thing. There's great teachers who do a tremendous job at this one, way better than I can. But it really is related to understanding how people think and how people connect dots. So this is the reason why I, I'm, I'm kind of saddened by the idea that intelligence is something that is like taboo almost. But intelligence really has something to do with it. Somebody with a lower um, intellectual capacity, <laughs> let's call it like that. Somebody with lower intellectual capacity, you know, they might need that extra point and, and you, you don't need to hone down on this point, but they might need an extra point before you get to your second point. Let's say you want to go from A to C, for example, right? Somebody who has a lot of intellectual capacity might be able to easily get from A to C without needing to explain B because they're like, oh, A, C, it makes sense because B is existing. They can do that. Somebody who doesn't have that capacity, they, you might need to touch on B to kind of tease them with the connection. So you make the connection, then you get to C. So instead of, instead of you just skipping it, you just have to briefly touch on it. So they already see the path while the other person sees the path once you give the two points. And I think those are the points that we also have to touch on is and to realize what those points are. For me, this is one of the biggest struggles that I had myself. And this is the reason why I found it so easy to, to, to start recognizing this one is because in the past before YouTube, I had a, YouTube, for me now, it's all about explaining, you know, so I had to learn how to explain. But before that, I had to explain, but the issue that I had is I was like, ah, oh, yeah, guys, when we started A, we have now letter M. And I forgot all the letters in between. So everybody's like, yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's crazy. I mean, it's so confusing. They were so confused with everything I'm saying because I didn't make the path clear enough. So then once I started integrating, oh, there's also D and C and A and like all these random random letters, now I'm starting to create a path and they're starting to see it and, and, and they're like, they start to see the pattern and then eventually they just get to what I'm trying to say and they're like, okay, you could have just explained it easier. And then it's like, okay, that makes sense.
And the best lesson to learn is whether it's audience, uh, whether it is video content or education, a confused audience is a disengaged audience. If you confuse them, you lose them. It's the simplest rule. So rules from content do apply to pretty much everything outside of outside of content, which again, why I like it so much because we're learning about humans and how they interact with stuff. We're not just learning about YouTube content, we're learning about humans. That's like, that's like the biggest undertone behind everything, I think. So uh, another thing, uh, I asked you two times uh, so far in my life, but I think it's very important for you to say this publicly. So uh, do you think that my accent makes people uh, drop off in YouTube videos? And maybe especially in this podcast, because they don't understand that now it's in depth. So yeah. they're trying to get, so can you touch on accents and all this stuff, please? Accent is a, is a difficult one, right? Because it's, it's, and it's, you're not the only person who's actually struggling with this one. There's a ton of creators who actually struggle with accent and who are, who are, who are fearful that their accent is holding them back. The thing is the accent, because it's a constant, it is part of your personality. It could be the exact reason why people like you. It makes you stand out from other people. Now it is constant. So, you know, it is your personality and, and not everybody needs that very straight, like very great English, you know, somebody, but what does matter here is this, and this is where it can influence you. It's understandability. So how easy it is for people to understand what you're saying. So your English needs to be fairly good if you are targeting an English audience, but your accent is not going to matter too much. I have an accent, you have an accent, we all have accents. It adds to our personality and we have to live by that one, right? Uh, and yes, there's some stereotyping going on. You know, if you have a certain type of accent, there's a certain stereotype that people have with that one. You can break that stereotype eventually, but it will take efforts or you embrace the stereotype and that way you get the quick wins. But, um, an accent works. I mean, in, in, in movies, for example, they've used, you know, it's, 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 it's very common, uh, especially in older movies, because there was less of care for how people feel and stuff. But, you know, there's so many times that you had, for example, the Asian person with a very heavy, thick Chinese accent, right? It's, it's very common in certain movies. And they added in comedy movies. And I would argue that if it wasn't for this accent, these movies didn't have the comedy that they would have had if they used a normal person. You know, I think I just watched a documentary on Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He, his accent, oh. he has probably the thickest accent that you could think of, but he's also one of the biggest movie stars in the entire world. So if accent truly mattered that much in a negative way, somebody like him would have never made it. Uh, in his documentary, actually, he also discusses it, how his accent was holding him back and people didn't want to cast him because of his accent. And it makes sense, you know, but that's because people are misinformed about accent. So understanding and what you say. So you, you, basically, you basically think uh, it depends if my accent is not that bad that it doesn't uh, make people not understand what I'm saying, but you basically think I can get the same views as Mr. Beast. With my accent. You, in theory, should be able to. Because the thing is like this, again, going back to Arnold, he was one of the best-selling, like, he was one of the most famous actors. He's one of the best-performing actors. Like, everybody knows him for, I mean, everybody. The majority of people know him. I mean, you know, uh, I'll be back. It became something, you know? It is, and that is because 
it adds to personality. Now, again, the problem with accent, like with content creators who have an accent is that a lot of their focus goes towards their accent. While in reality, you need to focus on your content. Treat your content the same way. Like have the same lens of your content, the same standards that somebody does who doesn't focus on their accent and you'll just be fine. You know, so again, I think Arnold is the best example because I mean, it's the exact example of somebody who made it as an accent. And he's not the first one. In, even in YouTube, there have been multiple creators with a thick accent who at the time were some of the largest within what they did. Jimmy Beast wasn't, isn't, I mean, yes, he's the biggest, but he like, the reason why he's big is not because, of, because he speaks good English. It's because he makes great content decisions. It's because he knows what he's doing. And he goes above and beyond way more than anybody else. That's the reason what makes him successful. It's not his accent. Now his accent might help with making him understandable, but it's more like a side effect. So like this, and this is, I said this to you before, I don't think your accent is a problem and I still stand by this. No and you can ask me in 10 years, you can ask me when I'm 70 years old and I will still give you the, the exact same answer. <laughs> I'm gonna regret you, saying you this, may... but sure. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, uh, thank you for saying that because this is a question that I had for, not thank you for saying that, my, but I'm sure other people that watch us have the same question. Uh, but I, it's not that you are right 100%, but this is, uh, I think the example that you gave with Arnold Schwarzenegger, even if you are not going to be the biggest, you are going to be 80% of what you're going to be or 70% yeah. or 60%. But it's still worth it to try. Yeah, to you're, that you're, you still have limitations. You have limitations. Uh, I won't like, yes, there are some limitations and those are inherently to an accent, right? But you and I have the same limitations. I mean, I am probably the palest, baldest guy out there. That has limitations. The way I look is limitations. You know, what I talk about, like there's so many limitations. Your accent might have a small yeah, yeah, limitation, yeah. but it, at the same time, it also gives you opportunities, especially in moments of comedy, you know? So. And now that you said about this, it's kind of fun. Do you think people, are, for example, if I had hair or long or if I was bald, does it affect retention, do you think? Of so while it doesn't, it's, it's the uh, same example as earlier I touched on with the, with the car and the tire, right? It's like, it's a small thing. But things like this, again, if, if, if you got, if somebody came to you and gave you a small gift, does that have an impact on the way you like him? Yes, it does have an impact. Is it major? Is it significant? Is it significant enough to even think about that? Arguable, maybe not even, you know, but does it have? Yes. I mean, think about the movie stars, right? If you have an object, if, if you have somebody who is universally good looking, that person has a like, has a better chance to probably perform well. Because universally good looking, there's there, it, it has these side effects of trust and all that kind of stuff that could come come with it. If you have a person that is un universally not liked in the way they look, for example, that also has an impact. But again, it also matters how do you go about it. If this person embraces the fact that they're not universally good looking, this could even and be an upside. And they and they joke about it and they say uh, exactly they hunt. exactly. And that, that makes them likable. So if they are, if they are okay with it and they're confident. So yeah. 
it's it's very interesting you can make your weaknesses kind of as a strong uh, thing if you joke about it if you are if you find if you find a way to limit these and like increase the other one that is your stronger so being paying attention is important exploit so, uh, the best thing exploit opportunities that you're given don't focus on your weaknesses because your weaknesses are only going to hold you back i mean you know I'm not gonna say being bald like this isn't good. This isn't the best look that I could possibly have. I can have this luscious, beautiful hair, you know, all that kind of stuff. I I could have a beautiful, like nice. But it will cost you a lot. Yeah, so I just embrace what it is, make fun of my baldness, and once in a while I I throw a bald joke in there, and boom, suddenly it works a lot better. I mean, I haven't, I actually haven't thrown a single bald joke in this conversation yet. So you know, maybe I should, but you know, it is, it is, it is what it is. So. So uh, another question that I have is podcast. Uh, so uh, I started this uh, new format now, the podcasting. I'm very, very passionate about it. And uh, I, when I promote it on my main channel, it, uh, the podcast has like uh, the people that they watch the podcast is two, three minutes. And when it's the podcast promoted by itself is 20 minutes watch on a one and a half hour yeah. conversation. And I'm, and I'm questioning here myself. It's not, it's like, uh, am I good in this? Um, people do want to listen to me. And like, uh, so I'm curious to hear, does the YouTube uh, device is different on the podcasting thing? Do you have some, uh, tips and tricks for podcasting? And is, uh, I think this is generally an interesting topic. For me. So my 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 expertise doesn't go deeply when it comes down to podcasting, but what I can say is when it comes down to long content, the exact same principles apply. You have to make it interesting. Now the only thing I would say that podcasts can have is you want to chapter. You don't want to do that with normal content, but because if you have a 15-minute video and nobody knows where to navigate when they're bored, you're going to lose them. So you need to assist them. You need to assist the viewer in saying, hey, this is where this topic gets discussed. This is where this topic gets so discussed. So you think they're highly important, the chapters, and accurately I think a lot, put in the- significantly more than with a 10-minute video. In a 10-minute video, I think you want to avoid them because you don't want people skipping rounds. But in a video like this one, like in a podcast, especially long, you want to chapter the shit out of that one because you, people are not looking for 20 minutes of listening for one piece of information. You want them to be able to either watch the whole thing as a whole or to just get to the information that they want to hear, right? And, and sometimes they see the chapters and they see the titles of the chapters. So you title it well and it's like, hey, that's an interesting point. I want to listen to that for two minutes. Oh, that's an interesting point. I want to listen to that for five minutes. So when you do that one, you're assisting them and you're actually helping with their motivation to watch for longer. Now, when it comes out to podcasts, this, this is a question that you have to I tell yourself, it's like, you don't have to say to yourself, oh, is this something I'm good at? No, you become good at that. You know, my, 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 when I, I, I'm writing a book right now, right? Am I a good writer? Absolutely not. I'm a horrible writer, but it doesn't matter because I'll learn whatever it takes to become a good writer. You know, I need to learn how to do my English spelling. There's a lot of tools out there. I can study that. Podcast is the exact same thing. Let's say, for example, one of the, like, let's say you have a new new person in your podcast. The way you announce them, what information do you give about them? You know, what excites people, what not? How do you lead it? What's the structure of your podcast? Are you just listicle things? Are these questions, do they follow reasoning? What's the chain? What do you introduce? All those things do you have to think about. It's the exact same process as a video, right? So it is just at a, as a, at a more time-consuming scale and we realize that people like to listen. So we have to cater to your listening audience a lot more. So... 
that is some of the things that I have to say about that one. In the end, I would st- I would strongly step away from the question, is this even something I want to, like I'm good at? No, you become good at that one. That's the thing is, whatever you do. When I, 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 I think the best example that I have here is, when I became a professional gamer, I didn't say, am I a good gamer? I didn't just, be- I, I wasn't a good gamer. I was, there was this game called CSGO. I was Silver 4, which if, if people know stuff about CSGO, or if you don't, it just means you are one of the shittiest players in the game. And then I, I was doing university and I told my parents, I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna quit university, I'm gonna quit all my hobbies and I'm gonna become a professional gamer. They're like, yeah, but you're not even good at games. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care, I'll get good, I'll start training. But it's that drive to be like, I'll make it as good as you want. Uh, I want it to be, that's what matters. And eventually you'll make it. I, like as a gamer, I made exactly everything that I wanted to achieve. I won a major tournament, I got number one on leaderboards and I played in the world championship. Those were the three goals that I had. Made them happen, boom. Same thing with this $100 million company. I don't have a $100 million company. You set the goal and then you do whatever it takes to get that goal. And that's the same with the podcast. You, you're not good at podcasting or anything like that. You become somebody who's good at it. You know, so you change whatever. Me as a consultant as well, I'm layering a laugh mic. You don't wear it as a consultant typically. I do that because I want to increase audio quality. Boom. That's what you do. Just you make it happen no matter what. So, And people will be receptive. Maybe not at the beginning, but the problem about people making podcasts is people don't change. They think they do a format 10 times and they think it's going to work. It ain't going to work. If nobody's watching now, nobody's going to watch later. That's just how it is. So improve every single time and find something to significantly increase the way that your content is. Something, strategize about it, implement that one. And one, if you do all these 1% improvements, after 100 time, you're going to be significantly better. So that's what I would say about it. And that's the same with this podcast. You know, Now you could have a podcast with a few thousand viewers. If you keep on improving, you could have a podcast as big as you want it to be, as long as you keep on improving and change whatever needs to be changed, whether it is the podcast, the structure, or yourself, or the people that you interview. So, so uh, one, my, my sister sent me a, a message to our group that we have with my team. She's working with me. And is the new tweet of Mr. Beast. And he said, uh, I'm... Uh, I don't, uh, sometimes I think that uh, it's not good to say the YouTube advice to to podcasts because uh, there is a lot of copycats uh, out there. So what is your opinion about the era of YouTube now and copycats and everything about this? Because you are advising people what content to do and like what you think about this? I shared this feeling that he had there because I saw the tweet as well. I shared this feeling as well for a long time. I think the only thing that he, in his case, is that you don't want to share if you're, if you don't want to share if you have potential competition. That is the most dangerous time to share because then somebody, somebody could be smarter than you, handier with you, have more resources than you, take what you have and then start kicking off, right? That's possible. Now, what people cannot do is when you are so ahead of everybody, you know, and whatever you do, you can start sharing because even if they take what you take, you're miles ahead. They just have, they still have to play catch up at that point. And then, and you have to realize what those points are. So now with that kind of stuff, the era of YouTube, there's a lot of people copying Beast, but this is the same in music. In music, when rock music came out, everybody's doing rock music. When there's punk music, everybody does punk music. When there's this modern music right now, everybody does this one. It is just because that's trending, right? Regardless of what 
Jimmy said on podcasts, people would have copied him. People see 100 million views. They're going to copy you no matter what you say. The thing is when you give information, you just make it easier. You make it easier to exactly copy you. Now, again, I don't think he gave too much information away. So now you have a lot of like wannabe copycats and they, they copy his stuff like his font choice even and the exact intro type or the structure of what he does. And that's the reason why they fail because they don't think about the nuances. Jimmy and the boys, right? The boys are an amazing contribution to his content. Uh, other people, they have themselves and now they have these bunch of people that I don't care about or I may not even dislike. So in that case, like, people don't think about that. There's so many things that Beast has right that other people don't because they don't think about it. They, they just, oh, if I use Beast font, I'm going to increase my, my views. That's not how it works. If, I, if you copy his title and thumbnail, you're not going to increase your views necessarily. You know, you might see a boost because it's better objectively. But at the same time, that's not going to guarantee you 100 million views. You want to get 100 million views? You better really figure out what exactly is he's doing right or anybody else doing right. Condense it. Make it your own. Be unique and all that kind of stuff. And then, yes, you can compete with him. But nobody's doing that one. And that's why there is nobody able to compete with him. Plus, Jimmy at this point has the advantage of resources. So that also matters. But at the same time, again, you know, with enough time, you can build those resources. The problem is most people want to start their YouTube journey. Two years of growth. You know, Jimmy didn't grow in that far. You didn't grow in, 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 in a short period of time. Nobody grew in a very short period of time. Well, okay. Nobody's a wrong statement. There are some people who blew up in a short period of time. But if you rarely. want... Rarely. One in a hundred. Exactly, exactly. It's very rarely. And if they have, most of the times these are people that are extremely smart, know something that other people don't or anything like that. You know, or they so, had a previous experience being a videographer or something filmer, like or that. Something. that. Yeah. So, or their or father just, was a YouTuber. Yeah, their father was a YouTuber. <laughs> 60 year old man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's going to happen. So the copying is going to stay. I mean, if, if it isn't for Jimmy, it's going to be somebody else. Now, what I think about the sharing of knowledge is again like this. You just have to judge your competition. Know how good you are. If you are good at innovating and good at pushing forward and you have a huge team to help you with, that guy sitting in his bedroom, he's not going to catch up. He's not going to catch up as long as you do things right. You know, if you stop innovating and stuff, yeah, the guy's going to catch up. But you don't have to be that much afraid. I mean, Beast scores more views than ever. You know, there's, there's two videos that I haven't worked on so far. The two latest videos at the, uh, when we're talking about this one, those videos performed the, probably one of, some of the best. He keeps growing regardless, yes. so he doesn't have to be scared. Uh, because of multi-language audio. There's a lot of, that's, there's definitely, a, there's definitely a lot of things. <laughs> but I think, I, I see where he comes from with his tweets. And I think what is happening is a lot of people think that copying Beast and taking advantage of his name is the best way to get views. That ain't true. If you give the viewer value for what they come for, they'll watch you regardless. Well, it, it, in my experience, whenever you have Mr. Beast in your thumbnail in your video and you actually have him in, it's like a 5 million view video guarantee. So it's like... <laughs> there's there's a benefit to it, there, but it's not everything. Let's, so um, eventually, eventually yeah. that's going to... Like, I think there are some creators that have utilized that and benefited from that one. And I'm not going to lie from it. I mean, it does benefit. I mean, 
Uh, I don't think I would have been. Ma- Matthew Beam really utilized uh, yeah, Matthew his name to grow. M- me as well, I utilized yeah. Arak name to grow him to to grow a bit. Yeah. But there are so, limitations uh, to that. That's the only downside to it. There is limitations, but it can help because it's brand awareness, which you, which we sometimes struggle with. It's brand awareness. It's also a, a sense of authority. Because if you associate yourself with a person that big, there's a sense of authority. I mean, that's the one that I'm benefiting from. The fact that the fact that I worked with him, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, it benefits my consulting career. You know, if it wasn't for him, yes, I would have still had a consulting career. It just wouldn't have grown this fast properly, right? So and there, be able to charge well. the highest price in the market for consulting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's just because you know when people if, if people want to work with you it's, uh, there's this tactic in consulting that is like okay keep charging higher until people say no you know that's what you got to do and the but, and, and also just think about it, like right now i'm fully booked i've been fully booked so much but then there's this one person and they have a cool channel and then it's like okay you know what what's what's the what's the amount of price that i can use some sleep or lose some sleep over you know, and soon I'm gonna have to really deal with that because soon I got I got the baby, which is gonna give me two hours of sleep a day. So I'm gonna really have to make my judgments. But uh, that's one of the things. And and also, so th- this is this is the best advice for consultants: setting the price higher also eliminates certain types of people to work with. Typically, with a lower price, you get a lot more questions, a lot more co- complaints, a lot more expectations. You know, somebody, let's put it like this: somebody who who makes a million dollars a month or a year regardless, is not going to stay awake over a few thousand dollars. But somebody yes. who doesn't make that much, when they invest a few thousand dollars, they're going to care about, they're going to look at every single detail, how applicable this is. You know, that large I, and I wealthy agree. person. I, I can give you an example yeah. that is interesting. A person in my team paid for Daryl Eve's uh, $700. And he, from their own money, they, they wanted to pay it uh, and they told me, I, don't, I told them, I don't know. You try it and tell me. But because it, they were not me, they, it, that $700, they have their salary or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so if it was me, it was going to be whatever, another expense that uh, I learned or whatever. It's just a so they had so much, more, uh, uh, so much more expectations. And like yeah. they measure everything. And like they left the thing and like, Probably it's not worth it, they said, uh, after the thing. But if it was me, probably I was going to, okay, they told me this applicable thing, and then I would just get, or even if it's, it's not a big deal. So this is exactly what you're saying. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I can I, I can tell this with confidence. If, so, if somebody who isn't in a good financial situation would hire me, they're not going to get the value that they're expecting. Because they are expecting, they would for that value, they would expect me to change the world. That is not what I do. I optimize content, you know? So what I do is like, if you have somebody who makes significant and I optimize, their their revenue stream will increase by 2%. But if you make a million dollars in a year, 2%, that's 20K. That's significant. So I can charge 20K and they'll still break even. But another person, I can charge them 20K and suddenly they lose all the revenue and there's nothing left to create content. So that is, I mean, yes, it's pretty much what you're saying. And um, it is, yeah. So I have two questions and then uh, I will let you go to your wife or I don't know, to your work. (laughs) It's work day today. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the first question is, uh, I want you to give me one quick, 
advise you know the videos that I do probably the audience uh, knows the videos that I do so um, like what is uh, a, an advice that I can uh, use for for my channel to to grow the views grow the engagement of, of the of the people last thing huh? hmm. so I'm doing this without data so I'm, I'm just doing a quick guess and I'm, I'm opening the channel right now Oof, man, I watched the, I watched the Barry live video. That was the last one I watched, which which was recent. Oh man, you're you're putting me on the spot right now. Um, let me see, let me see, let me see what's the best. I think, okay, based on the the Barry live video, I'm basing on that one specifically. Right. The events that were happening in that video weren't truly exceptional. They weren't truly grandiose. You know, there was the experience of 10 days of life, but at the same time, the delivery to go above and beyond delivering on this one was fairly simple. I mean, in the end, while it was 10 days, the experience was fairly similar to the experience of Jimmy's buried life video. So the problem then is that if people saw Jimmy's buried life video and now they see yours, are they gonna get 10x the value because they did, you did 10x the days? Oh no, he did 50 hours. So in this case, yeah, well then 5x the days. You know, are they going to get that much more value? I would argue that that would not be the case. Because there wasn't anything that was significantly different to his that was so exceptional, except for increase in length. There was a world record related to that kind of stuff. You know, uh, that was maybe the thing. But then we have to objectively try to argue here, was that going to make the video five times better? I'm not sure if that was the case. So in this case, what we want to do in this case is we want to make sure that even when we have a, when we have a, a very straightforward storyline that the events that are happening within those storylines are unique to this content piece that you cannot experience anywhere else. You cannot experience this watching Jimmy's video or anything like that. And also, obviously, these things would need to attach to it so that the outcome of the video is different. It's the same if you watch a romantic story, right, or a movie, and you have another movie that it follows the exact same storyline it's going to feel like it's the same experience. There's nothing new about it. So you're not going to value it that much. But if the events change, you can have the exact same storyline. Since the events drastically change, it will feel different. It will feel unique and you're going to value it more. Avatar follows the exact same storyline as Pocahontas, as people say. But it's so vastly different in so many ways that at the same time, I mean, it's one of the top selling movies of all time. So, I mean, that's the perfect example of that one. Uh, there's a reason why there's the 3x structure and the 5x structure and, and all these story arcs that they use in traditional. When they blatantly copy another one, it's just another experience. And then your character and who you are matters most. But when the events change, that's when you're truly going to engage people. So I would say in that video as well, that's where I would say, if you think the higher level, the bigger impact stuff, that's what I would focus on. 
I can now look at the video and talk about the editing techniques or the music choice or anything like that, but that's maybe going to increase or optimize it for one to two percent. In but you are case, talking about the the fire of the card, not the exactly, how to exactly. change the fire the of the wheel. card, a million dollar problem, not the five dollar problem. You know, the million dollar problem, that's the one we're trying to solve here. If you change that one, you're going to be able to 2x, 3x, 5x, 10x. You know, that's what you're going to be able to do when you make these type of decisions. If you're just going to optimize and change your editing techniques, you'll grow two to five percent at most. You know, not much will change. Uh, I mean, there will okay. change some stuff, but that's it. So let's, uh, let me refresh to see if I understood what you're saying. So you said basically, if I had some stuff that never happened before, for example, the, 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 uh, Uh, coffin was floating water every day inside and I was going to have uh, such uh, space in the thing uh, by the end or if I had uh, more people buried alive uh, inside the coffin or if I had like uh, different coffins and I had people to see who can last longer or this is something that so adding a change uh, that already adds value yes so Especially okay. with the water rising. I mean, the water rising is a whole new dynamic. Now, again, just adding things won't make things necessarily better. Sometimes it's changing things. But again, in this case, that water rising, I would argue that the water rising would add to a certain amount of tension that is like unseen on YouTube. I mean, I love the idea of water rising and nobody applies it everywhere on YouTube, you know? But the thing is, I like guess, there's one thing that people are scared of is water rising to a degree where it's like, borderline deadly. And I want to say borderline because I don't want to encourage anybody to do any deadly stunts because, I mean, there's enough people that bad stuff happened and I, I don't think we need to encourage that behavior. But again, if we do it in a safe environment, I'm not saying that we have to fake stuff, but a safe environment that has enough control into place where nothing actually can go wrong, then, you know, um, that is something to consider, you know. Or, you know, are you taking risk? But I don't want to suggest risk because, again, this is the, this is the one thing. Regardless of saying this, and this is an important disclaimer to make, is that taking a risk like that, making something deadly or, or dangerous, doesn't necessarily increase views. That's a very distinguishing to make, right? So safety above everything else. Again, in movies as well, these actors don't really get hurt. There is safety in, in place. You know, we're just being. Uh, I, uh, I I admit that uh, I I I didn't eat food for thirty days for a video. I actually did it. I only drank water. And it was, uh, I'm not saying that it, I regret it. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life because I was almost dead at some point. So, 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 uh, so it's, it's very interesting. This, uh, and it's one of the, my lowest performing videos, but, yeah. uh, but maybe for some other reason that YouTube got it demonetized or all this stuff. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Yes. Not the crazier doesn't equal, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we have to, we have to make sure that the storyline is good and stuff and that it's unique and that we create an experience that is worth watching. Typically that's a novel experience, but it doesn't have to be a novel experience, you know, novel experience, meaning a new experience, something that people haven't seen before. That is so, like that, you know, I, I once broke down the elements of curiosity. Novelty is one of them. So you get novelty, you get uncertainty, you get, uh, wait, a novelty, uncertainty, you got knowledge gaps, and then you have complexity. And a nice combination of those, or a single one of those, is going to do a lot more to how people watch your content than anything else. So, and, that, and, 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 and excitement and danger can create that, but it doesn't necessarily create that. I would even argue, 
Danger could even push away your audience because when I'm watching YouTube and I'm just having a chill, I would just want to have a chill time. I might not be in for the experience of tension. I want to watch a movie for tension, maybe not a YouTube video. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. You know, it really, really depends. There's so many factors that play a role here. So, uh, uh, just to rephrase what you said, that is very things that uh, they never seen before. It's a good way to go about content. Maybe it's, uh, it's, it's just it's vulnerability. The or the level of vulnerability is not seen before, or the level a stand or a concept is never seen before. So you're saying that this is a good way to. Novelty is, is something that typically works very well. I mean, giving viewers a novel experience is one of the one of the stronger ways to go about hooking an audience. What novel means? Novel is new. So it's a new experience. It's a different approach. Like, for example, if you have the coffin with the water rising, that would be rather novel. You know, there's still, there's still an essence of familiarity because people know the, the concept of buried life. And novelty is like that balance between... We want to create a novel experience with something that they're still too familiar enough with. That's pretty much what everything is, right? It's like, what is Avatar, for example? The novel experience is, is this a new world. The familiarity, we're, we're too familiar with humans and our greed and all kind of stuff, you know? So you have a novel experience with something, to, with something we're familiar with. Same thing, Minecraft, but this happens, you know, in gaming content, right? It's like, we're familiar with Minecraft and how it works, but we're creating a novel experience. It's exciting. You know, that's, it's only one that might make people curious. You don't have to go novel. You know, there are other aspects, but novelty is one of the stronger ones, you know? So, so we're moving to the last question, which is what's the meaning of life for you? Ooh. Okay. Meaning of life. I've, I've put a lot of thought in this one. So I think the meaning of life is to experience life. So I'm, a, I'm what you would call a compatibilist. So a compatibilist is somebody who believes that everything in life is predetermined. I believe that none of what we do has a choice. None of us. Everything is predetermined. What's going to happen 100 years from now, what's happening 200 years from now. I really believe that. Now, a compatibilist, unlike a determinist, is somebody who also believes that, that we can still I acknowledge the, the existence of free will. So... Or like the feeling of free will, you know? So while I think everything is predetermined, I think the feeling of free will is real. So when everything is predetermined, then what, what, what is this meaning? It's to, you know, we have, I, I believe we have one life. Maybe we have two. I don't know. We cannot guarantee that. I don't know how many lives we have, you know? I don't know how long this, 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 this feeling of consciousness will stay. You know, because that's what we are. We're just a conscious being for the time of our life. And that's about it. So the idea is very, very simple. If everything is predetermined, there's only one possible purpose that life, in my opinion, can have, which is the experience of life. So when we are experiencing our life, all of our goals should be to increase the experience, to have the best life possible. That is literally what I truly believe because we have a limited time span. So we want to make that as best as possible. And that changes for everybody, whatever you want to do. Like if you want to, if you want to leave a legacy behind, you do that. If you just want to have fun, you do that. Like whatever you do, it's whatever you decide to do. And that's what I believe is the meaning of life. So for me, 
when I do my, when I make my big vision and I think about all that kind of stuff, I'm like, okay, I want to have the most impact that I can have on this experience of other people. And that's what I truly care about because I believe the meaning of life is to increase experiences. And I value other people, their experiences, not only more than me, but I, I, I really value that. Like, cause again, my own experience is also important. So it's yours. And I just want to have an impact on other people. So that's what I truly believe is the meaning of life. Increase your experience. So I love you. This was such, such, such a beautiful conversation. I love every second of it. It's more than two and a half hours. And I like Lex Friedman says in his podcast, I don't know if you watch them. It's a, it's yes. a blessing for me to be able to call you a friend. I'm honored. I love you and see, yeah. see you in the future episode of this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Go and follow him on Twitter, guys. We put the link on the description. Anywhere else that uh, you need to, f uh, or on the Twitter, Just right? Twitter. Just Twitter. Very simple. Very simple and straightforward. <laughs> Bye-bye, guys. We love you.